WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 269. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG Headquarters building in Roswell, Georgia. In today's episode, pilot is attacked by a passenger, a mid-air meltdown, some A321 incidents, more news, your feedback, and a new Plain Tales episode, Key Must Go. So get all settled in. Tray tables and CPACs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 269 is ready for pushback. Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we get together every week to talk about things aviation. And joining me today to accomplish that task is... A physiatrist, doctor, a doctor, 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 a doctor, pilot, doctor, strength training doctor. junkie, an IPA connoisseur, all-around great young lady, Dr. Steph. And hello, great to be back for, what is this, 269, did you say? Yep. And yes, a lot to accomplish today, I think, and looking forward to another great show as usual. Absolutely, I am as well. Also joining us from across the pond is... Former fighter pilot, professional photographer, commercial airline captain extraordinaire for the airline we call Acme Red, Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. And hi, Steph. Uh, what a lovely day it's been here, except a wee bit chilly. Uh, it's nice to be back indoors and uh, looking forward to a great show. All right. And also joining us. Former regional airline pilot, now Mad Dog operator for Acme Air Mainline. It's First Officer Dana. Well, good afternoon, crew. How are you guys this afternoon? Great to be back and uh, a part of the show once again. Pleasant day here in the Atlanta area if you're a duck or a fish, one of the two. But uh, other than that, uh, looking forward to another great show and a little great banter and having uh, another fun afternoon listening to the APG. Hey, so Dana, since we have you, uh, you just introduced, uh, I understand that your week was kind of eventful. It was very eventful. I had my recurrent training. It was two days of pure bliss. Hmm. Yes. If you want to call it that. Yeah. I'd rather go to a proctologist and have a proctology <laughs> exam. Well, wouldn't we all? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, yeah. Well, no? If I was a female, I'd say gynecologist, but I can't say that. So, but anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the joy of going through recurrent, let alone spending this probably about a week prior, uh, spending uh, quite a bit of time studying all the recurrent material to make sure you're up to date and then not knowing uh, what you're going to get. And this time I knew who I was going to get for an examiner. And so that made the preparation ever so more crucial. 
Uh, he is a uh, he's a very tough examiner, uh, very thorough. But in all fairness, uh, uh, he is um, a fantastic examiner in in the regards that he's very concerned about you learning, and uh, is very thorough. So it makes you uh, it, it drives you to be a better uh, a better pilot, a better prepared pilot. Um, but uh, you know, we had we had a few issues come come about with the captain and the sim. And it was very challenging for him, but fortunately, I was there to do my good first officer duties and make him look like the star. And and I took took it in the butt. I mean, I'm on the on the head. Speaking of proctologists, <laughs> speaking of proctologists, <laughs> but no, um, it it was it it, it worked out in the end. Uh, so uh, <laughs> That's we what both she's... got the uh, we both got the John Hancock to sign off, and um, we are uh, blessed again. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, Bunny, a couple of buddies of mine told me that uh, they went through and it took them about two and a half to three hours in the sim and, you know, about an hour worth of pre-brief. Well, that wasn't us. It was a complete and total four hours in the sim, probably four hours and five minutes, to be honest, and uh, a full hour in uh, 34 minutes of briefing. Yikes. And my debrief was a matter of about a minute and a half. His debrief uh, was much longer when I was asked to leave the room, so I don't know how that went but uh it was it was a fun uh, fun time for you maybe not yeah <laughs> but less so for him i think so yeah that's uh that's not good well you, i was gonna say you got your money's worth but yeah. I, I sure i sure did but you know it's it's uh it, you know training is exactly that it's training it's it's an opportunity to go in and and make the mistakes in the in the simulator and uh, fortunately I didn't really actually make that many mistakes uh, very few to be honest um, but it was uh, it was really a good learning opportunity as it should be that's really the design of the whole program time you uh, go through training it's it's designed to make you a better and more uh, uh, uh pilot uh, in, in being uh, being that you're more aware of the things that you may make an error on to hopefully avoid that Swiss cheese model and not make those errors in the future. Absolutely. So Absolutely. It was a good week. So when are you uh, heading out again on a trip? I don't go out until Monday. I get to, nice. I'm going to get to go to Turks and Caicos. I haven't gone there in a very long time. Oh, good for you. So I'm going to go someplace that's um, well, not really tropical, but it's uh, out of the country. I'll talk about that in a minute, but uh Let's uh, check in with uh, Dr. Steph and see how her week has gone since we've last talked with her. Yes, my week has been, um, uh, let's see, shall we say since the last show, I feel like I should apologize to Larry the geezer for, um, he sent in a fine piece of feedback last show and I decided I should read it and probably was not in the right frame of mind to read that for him. So. I think you did a wonderful job <laughs> of uh, kind of expanding upon paragraph five, six, yes. A or whatever it was, or C, I don't remember. But I just was... want him to know I was not trying to um, make light of it or make fun of it anyway. Just, you know, a few too many IPAs there uh, that I was... I, I my wouldn't job worry about it. It wasn't his paper. It was somebody else's right. paper. That's the That's person true. you need That's to true. apologize to. to us. No, I don't know that person. I don't care. Um, 
but he sent it to us. So first and foremost, that. So um, no, my week has been actually really nice since then. Um, kind of an uneventful weekend last weekend. And then this week had a very nice meetup with Jeff Ward, who helps out some with the uh, UCAP podcast, the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. And I think we have some of that audio in just yep. a little bit or whatever. Yeah, we can do it. Uh, um, we can do it while we're kind of catching up with you, but go ahead and continue. Yeah, sure. Um, but really, I mean, not not a whole lot else outside of that this week. It's just been a lot of work, unfortunately. Um, today was the lightest day I've had all week, so thankful for that. A little bit of time to relax before we did the show today. Um, and we had a lot of rain. It was, you know, Dana talked about nice for the ducks and fish. That's that's what we had in Charlotte last weekend. It was, it just poured from Saturday, Sunday, or no, I'm sorry, Sunday, Monday, into Tuesday, and then all of a sudden, bright blue skies again. So, yeah, but rain's coming again, Steph. It's over here. I know right you're now. sending it to us. Yep. So, thank you for that. You're welcome. We'll look forward to that this evening. Okay. Well, you want to? Uh, you want me to play the audio from your meetup that you had with uh, yeah, Jeff Ward? Yeah, we can do that. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, hello, APGers. This is uh, Dr. Steph. I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina, as I usually am. Currently tonight, we're at the Noda Brewing Company here in, not in the Noda area, but this is their North Tryon location, which is a new location for me. Um, but it's a great little tap room that they've opened here and lots and lots and lots of beers on tap for pretty much anyone's style or preference of beer consumption. And the reason I'm here tonight is actually to meet up with one of our community members and and um, I guess we'll say producer slash show notes contributor to another well-known aviation podcast, Jeff Ward. So hello, Jeff. Hello. And uh, here we are in Charlotte. And, and Dr. Steph is absolutely right. There is a wonderful selection of beer here. Uh, <laughs> and it's a, it's a pleasant night in Charlotte for a change. It's been cold and rainy since I showed up a couple of days ago. But yeah, we're saying that Jeff brought the uh, rainy weather with him, which he's denying uh, Yeah, but... Yeah, it, yeah. It, it pretty much followed me down. Well, here. I'm glad we picked today instead of yesterday as a oh, day no. to come out to meet because yesterday no was rainy and gross, and today was, by the time we got here, sunny and very pleasant. It we, was t-shirt weather Yeah, out we here. sat here in t-shirts for quite quite a while. Before and what we kind of t-shirts were they? Of course, our Acme. They are Fly Acme, Acme Airlines. Fly Acme Airlines t-shirts. Airline That's correct. <laughs> so um, for folks who may listen to the Airline Pilot Guy show who may not know what the uncontrolled... Uh, and controlled airspace, airspace podcast is. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that and what you do for them. Okay. Well, uh, Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast is a general aviation podcast. Uh, it's been running now, wow, um, nine, coming up on ten years, I guess. I think they're, you're calling it ten years on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it was, that's right. It's the tenth itself. year. Yeah. Tenth year. Uh, I think it's the eight and a half year of my involvement, but uh, something Fair like enough. that. Um, so, yeah, it's been going on for, for ten years. The, the primary uh, uh, members are uh, Jack Hodgson, um, who is a, uh, a new media guy and a pilot, private pilot. Uh, Jeb Burnside, who is a uh, uh, aviation writer, he's currently editor of the of Aviation Safety Magazine, and Dave Higdon, who is a uh, aviation photographer and a freelance uh, writer who contributes to a huge number of of aviation uh, publications now, and they uh, met each other working on the uh, the show daily at Oshkosh many years ago. That's how they met. They were all working on the daily newspaper at the show, uh, and Jack 
thought that, hey, you know, there's this podcast thing, we should do it. And after about a year of yakking at them, he finally convinced them to do it. And, and it's been running ever since. Uh, it was weekly for a long time. Now it's pretty much bi-weekly. Um, but they just talk about aviation topics related mostly to general aviation. And um, it's kind of like a hangar talk, you know, a hangar phone. It's, exactly. It's, it's yeah, like it's the virtual hangar. If you ever go and listen, it's kind of the counterpoint to the uh, airline hangar talk that happens on the airline pilot. It is, it's, yeah. It's more the general aviation side of things, so if that's something that you're interested in, it's... Right. it's so, I, yeah, and I got involved years ago just sort of volunteering my time doing the, helping with the show notes, and eventually that was kind of became my permanent position, and I... I, uh, I, I do some uh, administration on the uh, forums and any number of other things and, and uh, work with the, the, the guys at the Oshkosh when I'm there. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun and, and we, get, we have get-togethers from time to time. But it's one of many aviation podcasts I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot out there to choose from and they're, they're all excellent, that, as we, we always it. say. So yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to pick from and, and a lot of quality out there. So, yeah. um, so you know, we were talking a little bit, but I don't think I heard the, the whole story. You're a uh, general aviation pilot yourself, correct? Tell right. us a little bit about that. Yep. Uh, yeah, I... Um I had always wanted to, to become a pilot since my early days. I uh, had a couple of uh, aborted attempts early on. Uh, actually, when I was in the Air Force, uh, I, I was uh, they had an aero club at Eglin, and I started taking lessons, but they kept sending me on temporary duties uh, somewhere else to other bases, and I'd have to cancel, drop out. Never got it done. And um, years later, I was uh, I got involved in flying uh, radio control models, which I still do. It's been 20 years now. Um, and uh, one of the guys that I flew with got his private license, told me how great it was. I went out, did a, uh, a discovery flight, and was hooked and signed up, and that was that. And that was a little over 10 years ago. Got my private license. Uh, a year and a half later, I got my seaplane, single-engine seaplane license. And um, and I, I don't fly as much as I want to, but uh, I don't know um, if any of us who are I mean, none of us do, right? Do. You know, we've got our, our own careers, and that kind yeah. of takes precedence. But uh, yeah. do you own your own plane, or do you rent? I or? still I still rent, sure. although I'd, I'd like to get into either you know a club or a partnership sure. uh, so that there's a little bit more flexibility. Um, and I'm also looking at you know uh, when I retire, um, possibly working to my CFI and doing some instruction because yeah. I love to teach and. and you know, Absolutely. You know, I think that's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. I think a lot more of us should probably be doing that to give them a little bit back. Well, so. it, it does take time. It takes a lot of time, yeah. Especially, yeah. you know, if you've got, like I said, a side job, it's, it's hard to do sometimes. But yeah. I think you'd be great at that, so something to look Thanks. forward to in the future. So. Um, what else? Anything else? I mean, we've had some uh, just great conversation tonight. We've been sitting here for almost a couple hours now. I yeah. Think, uh, just Sun talking, went down behind the food truck. Yeah, so watching the, watching the sunset behind us and enjoyed some. Some, uh, some tacos from the food truck and yeah. some, some nachos that are too spicy for either of us to actually eat. Uh, they're good. They're good, but they're I couldn't eat good, a lot of them. Yeah, we're, we're not, uh, yeah, not, not spice, hot food, hot food aficionados. No, afraid not. Uh, but the beer has been but, excellent. And yes. The company even better. So uh, thank you very much for uh, getting in touch with me and uh, organizing this meetup for us tonight. That's, well, that was great. My pleasure. We, we tried hard to, to reach out and 
and, and drag in some other people, but it just turned out to be us two, yeah. which means it's fine. So. That's all right. Yeah. It, was, it was fantastic for what it was. And, uh, Maybe next night. time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe, you know, if we have a little more heads up next time, might yeah. be a little bit. You know, a day and a half is not a lot for, for most people. But That's right. I know there's some other folks out there in Charlotte who are maybe listening to this now. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, be on the lookout and on the social media. And we'll, we'll try and get better heads up the next time we, we plan something. And uh, look forward to meeting you all that are out there. Yep. Well, you never know. And if you're up in Boston, you know. <laughs> Likewise. Yep. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well, for Airline Pilot Guy Show, Dr. Steph here in Charlotte, along with Jeff Ward from the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. There you go. <laughs> Not tripping over my words this time. <laughs> I wanted to call it something else before, but that's, that was all right. That's all right. All right. Just say UCAP. You know? UCAP. Yeah, that's easier. But I feel like we need the whole, the whole it's official. name in there to make it sound official. Exactly. All right. Well, take care. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Excellent. D- did it seem... Was it just me, or did it seem like the the folks in the background got louder and louder and louder? They got louder. Well, I think there were more and more people. Well, actually, it was close to the end of the night there, but there were quite a few people there. Um, which which means they yeah. got which means as the night went on they got drunker and drunker and drunker exactly and wow in, a, in the a span Tuesday, of seven so. minutes wow yes. <laughs> that was pretty amazing <laughs> anyway no that was a great meetup so my thanks to um, Jeff Ward and my thanks to him too for recording that because the prepared podcaster that I am did not manage to bring any recording equipment with me other than my cell phone and a headset but he actually had an H five recorder with him so oh, nice. that's what we used so I wonder if that is so great. I know. He was, Thank you, he Jeff. Was very nice. Yep. Great to uh, great to hear from you. And uh, as uh, as he and Steph said, UCAP is a great uh, general aviation podcast. You should check out. Absolutely. So, all right. Oh, uh, let's see, Captain Nick. How has your yes, week been going? Uh, well, it's uh, had the potential to be very quiet. I haven't been flying or anything difficult like that. Uh, I've actually spent most of the week, it seems, beating APG listeners. I, uh, I Did you say, oh, excuse well, me, I'm sorry, did you say beating uh, APG listeners? <laughs> meeting, meeting. Oh, meeting, I'm sorry. Okay, good. <laughs> We're not supposed to do that. No, I, uh, I went across and joined uh, Nev at Heathrow with uh, Tony and Phil, and I'm sure we'll hear a bit from there. Uh, the day after that, I went to London. I had lunch with an old Royal Australian Air Force mate who uh, flies to Qantas. He was in on a layover, and um, we got together for lunch. And I did record a little interview from him, uh, and I'm thinking about making a plain tale of that because it does go on uh, for a little bit longer than we would normally have for a little meetup. And he's, but he's a very interesting guy, got a great uh, deal of experience and. Uh, in the military and uh, in his civil flying. And then uh, just this afternoon, uh, I met up uh, with two young, uh, younger listeners. They're uh, at university, uh, Ollie and Dan, and uh, I think we'll get a chance to hear from them, I hope, very shortly. All right. Well, yeah, I have, <clears throat> excuse me, two pieces of um, audio from meetups that you had this week. Nick, which one would you like me to play first? Well, why don't we start with Ollie and Dan, and then uh, we can fit Nev in uh, in a little while. That's what Mrs. Nev said. <laughs> wow. Hi there, APGS. It's the old pilot. You never know when you're going to meet some of the audience. And uh, today has been a very special day because I'm sitting here in one of my local cities, Chichester. 
beautiful place. It's full of uh, ancient ruins, Roman walls, old cathedrals, etc., etc. And I was delighted to find out that uh, two of, uh, I won't call them younger listeners, listeners but they're certainly below the, uh, the median, I think, on uh, age. Um, we've got Ollie and Dan. Now, these guys uh, are both absolutely determined to become uh, commercial pilots at some point whether it actually be in the military um, or, pardon me, in civil world, I'm having an IPA, so you'll have to excuse the burps. Anyway, okay, they're currently both at uh, Loughborough University where they're doing, uh, well, I'll let you them, let them tell you all about it. I'm going to introduce uh, Ollie first of all. Now, he's the smart one that looks like uh, he ought to make a fine Air Force officer. He'll tell you a bit about that as well. So, uh, Ollie, introduce yourself. Tell us all about uh, what you're currently doing and what your future plans are going to be. Uh, evening, everyone. It's fantastic to be here with Dan and Captain Nick. Um, we're doing our best to represent the younger generation of APG listeners, although not sure how well we're doing that. So Dan and I are both currently second year students at Loughborough doing air transport management. Um, I'm currently part of the University Air Squadrons um, and at the moment trying to decide if I want to go down the Air Force route and uh, fly some pretty exciting aircraft or whether I want to go orange and uh, fly fly the commercial, fly the commercial way. But uh, that's to be decided. After chatting to Nick, however, my uh, my opinion is very much pointing towards the Air Force, not only because of the discounts we get, but uh, anyway, that that's me. So, um, Ollie, tell me a little bit about what you're currently doing. Not everyone will know what a UAS is. So, the UAS is the University Air Squadrons, and uh, it's basically a way of the RAF trying to recruit students um, directly into uh, into the Air Force as officers, uh, where. Where, whether it be an intelligence officer, a pilot officer, a logistics officer, there are so many different parameters we can go down. Um, so, for example, uh, the other day I um, spent the afternoon with 27 Squadron at RF Odeon. I uh, got to jump seat a Chinook flight uh, through central London and across the approach path into Heathrow, which is uh, fantastic uh, to see those Airbuses and Boeings going above but uh typical to uh typical to american technology the aircraft went tech on refuel um and uh, we uh faced significant delays once we got the authorization but that that's the uas well having bad mouth the yanks i don't know if jeff's gonna play this now um anyway the other side of me is uh, dan now dan's not uh, really aiming at a military career he's really i think more interested in going straight into uh, civil aviation now you're not uh, well certainly your parents are not based in the uk although uh, they are british um so what's uh, the deal with that and um how do you expect to kind of turn your uh, training um, your degree into perhaps an a- aviation career, Dan. Yeah, hi there, everyone. Uh, Dan here. Uh, as Nick said, my path's going to be a little more complicated because of my background. My uh, I'm originally from the UK, but my parents decided to move out to the Middle East, to Oman, which uh, for anybody unfamiliar is just south of United Arab Emirates and Dubai and all of that. Um, I, I I was uh, interested in the RAF at a younger age and moving out to the Middle East, it it did expose me more to the commercial side of things and also um, the way things are with the RAF, I would have to wait a few more years to be able to even apply, which is for, I'm sure for many 
young people interested in aviation, you you want to jump straight in. And uh, so to wait those two more years and sit in an office, it, it, it's not too appealing. Um, but yeah, for me, I, in terms of my degree, um, I, th- I think one of the main reasons I did it was because it's nice to have a fallback at the end of the day. Um, you never know if you're going to have some kind of issue that prevents you from getting a class one, whether it be your eye or something or something something else. And uh, it, it, when it comes to that first job, it's always, always nice to have that as well going for you when it comes to uh, recruitment because it's, it is, it's very difficult to get that that first uh, that first kind of job in there so um, I'm hoping it'll pay off I'm hoping uh, to get, I'm hoping to get straight onto my commercial stuff when I've done with university next year I'm actually uh, on a in an on an internship in Washington as part of my degree so if there's any APGs out there looking for a, for a meetup I'm, I should be around uh, should be around there next year hopefully uh, Jeff Dana and um, Nick will get a few uh, flights over there as well so hopefully see them and Maybe even stuff you never know, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I, I think at the end, to answer the question, um, I th- I think that to me when I first started the degree did seem a waste of time if you like, and it's more my parents who pushed it. Um, but I think in the long term, I, I it will be a, I th- I think it will be a wise me, decision. When I first I started, made and I, I look forward to getting on with my training. But right now I'm enjoying the university life. It's great to hear from two uh, guys who are so keen to get into aviation and uh, are lucky enough to be starting uh, out on their careers. Um, Just reminds me of how mine kicked off, which was uh, sweeping floors in a flying club. But uh, by the by, um, not sweeping floors in a flying club, but I want you to both now just give me your, in uh, a few words, your ideal career as it would like you would like it to pan out for you Ollie? Uh, for me now it would be an RAF Maltese pilot when I graduate for 15 years or so and then straight into commercial road flying long haul for, uh, for airlines but that, that's me Well that sounds great, well planned out How about you Dan? Yeah for me I would love to um, I'd love to somehow get straight onto the long haul stuff, that's what that's what I'd really love and hopefully maybe there seems to be a lot of these Far Eastern carriers where that you can do that such as Emirates said he had and I hope to get into that as soon as I've, I've done my licence but I was saying to Nick earlier at the end of the day I don't care what that first leap is as long as it's got an engine and I'm I'm doing work, That that's what the real dream is and um, yeah I look forward to what's ahead that's absolutely brilliant. It's been great to have a meet-up with these two young men, and I hope to do it again in the future before too long. And uh, So uh, I'm just going to leave you from the fabulous uh, tavern, uh, sorry, Park Tavern, where we are. I'm enjoying a very nice IPA. Uh, in only a few hours, uh, we'll be having uh, show 269, if I'm not mistaken. So hopefully we'll get a bit of this on then. Uh, all the best to you. Thanks very much indeed, Jeff. And uh, I'll just ask uh, Ollie and Dan to say goodbye. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. And uh, really happy to be part of the community. There you go. Brilliant. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Nick. Great interview. Nice. Good to see the, uh, the young blood coming into our career field. Oh, absolutely. Keenest mustard they are. Could you understand the, their English, their accent? Not too much. Uh, I, understood I could understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm just fine. Understand. Just, understood. Just fine. Good. 
I can't even get my tenses correct in English. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Why couldn't we understand it? <laughs> they're, they're talking too fast for me. <laughs> you see how fast I talk? That's how fast I listen. <laughs> That's how fast I think. <laughs> Oh my! Oh my! So yeah, yeah. I love the underhanded com- uh, compliments that Nick gives us. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we love the old Nickster. Mm. Of course. Yeah, we really do. Um, well, thank, uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, anything else? Oh, we have the other meetup. You want me to play that as well, or you? Want yeah. Well, to- that was okay. really down to Nev. Uh, he kind of uh, he wrote me in on that. So, mm-hmm. and he does most of the chit chatting there. So, uh, oh, yeah, okay. Thanks to Nev for this. It's great. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's hear from our good friend Nev from NevTech Industries. Hello, it's Nev here, reporting from London Heathrow Airport again on Monday, the twenty fourth of April, and. The temperature is rather chilly. It's got a bit cold and it's rainy, but I've got two of my chums here with me. I've got uh, Tony S and I've got Philip Davis here. Hello, Phil. Hi, Nev. Are you all well? Yes, very well, thank you. You had a very early start this morning, didn't you? Yes, left home at five to three this morning. (laughs) What time did you get here? Uh, 20 to six. Oh, it wasn't bad going. So uh, traffic's okay? Yeah, fine, yeah. Nice and quiet that time of the day. Do you come up here very often at all? Um, Once every year for a long day. And then my daughter's the other side of the country, so when I'm passing by, I usually stop off for a couple of hours. So so five or six times a year. Oh, nice. So this is actually quite a nice uh, viewing area here. Uh, nothing like the old days when they had the Queen's Building and all, all the rest of it, but uh, it's actually quite uh, quite pleasant there, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice. Nice area. Just a few trees in the way for photography, so it would be a bit... Awkward for photographers, but uh, I'm just a, a spotter, so uh, ideal for me. You can see the stuff coming in and out, and does me fine. See anything nice this morning? Uh, yeah, there's been a few uh, Dreamliners around that I've needed, and uh, 380s, I think. I've seen all the ones that came in this morning, but uh, I've got them all already. But, yeah, should get a few more as the day goes on. Nice, excellent. And uh, here's Tony as well. He's also had a very long journey. What time did you leave this morning? Uh, hello, Neville. I um, I left at five o'clock this morning. I had a five-hour drive down to Heathrow. And we're just here at the um, Heathrow Academy watching the planes go by. Uh, a beautiful Finnair A350 just taxiing by, which is the first time I've seen one of those. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> pretty nice here, actually, isn't it? Shame the weather's just deteriorated slightly, but... Um, yeah, that, there's some pretty dedicated people here coming from a, a long distance away. Do you, do you do this very often? No, I've just took the opportunity. I'm down here with work. So I was in the area and I thought uh, I'll pop into Heathrow and I've got a chance of meeting the legendary Neville and Phil and possibly Captain uh, Nick this afternoon. So who could refuse that? Yeah, I have heard actually that Nick's going to get his credit card out and treat us all to lunch later on. So that'll be a be a first, won't it? But uh, so where you come from, Tony, is Teesside your local airport? Teesside is my local airport, but it's not very busy. Uh, we don't get anything anything like this at uh, Teesside or even Newcastle Airport. So when I get the chance to come to Heathrow, you get to see a lot of the aircraft from all over the world, which is really interesting. Do you get any freight operations into Teesside at all? 
we, we get very little. It's mainly a general aviation airport now. You, we get the odd KLM flight in, um, but no, it, it's, it's quite disappointing, to be honest. Uh, there's not much traffic into Teesside Airport. It's anymore. amazing, really. I, I used to do that route a lot on uh, British Midland from uh, Heathrow to Teesside uh, once a week sometimes in, in the good old days. But have they stopped? Obviously, British Midland's been acquired by British Airways now, but uh, do they still run that service? No, that service is finished, but hopefully with the expansion of Heathrow on the third runway, it's possible they might open new routes into Durham Tees Valley or Teesside as it's more commonly known. That would be great, wouldn't it? it? Certainly, I think it's really important to have regional stuff uh, like that. So uh, anyway, right, well, that's it for now. And uh, Next report probably will be from uh, the pub, I'm pleased to say. So uh, catch you guys later. Well, we've now uh, decamped inside because the weather has uh, turned a bit nasty outside. Very cold and uh, windy as well, considering we're coming into the back end of spring. But here I am in the pub. Uh, with uh, Tony, with Philip and with Nick. So, uh, Tony, been a good day so far? It's been very good, Neville, yes. We've been watching the planes. We've just had a spot of lunch. I've had some uh, fish and chips with great company. I've been listening to Nick's stories and uh, with Neville and Philip talking about aviation. Uh, what can be better than that? Do you come down here very much at all? Uh, no, so... I don't come down very often, but when I get the chance, if I'm in the area, I like to call in and watch the planes um, because where I'm from in the northeast of England, we don't get the chance to see many big wide-body planes coming in and out. So uh, when I'm in London, I'll uh, pop to Heathrow and watch the planes for a bit. Certainly a great spotting place, isn't it? Well, right underneath the the aircraft. And uh, anyway, good to see you as well, Philip. Yes, thanks, Over. It's been great. Um, as I say, it's in plenty of good planes so far. More to come later on, hopefully, as long as we don't get too wet. Well, no, I was going to say the weather is looking a bit better now, isn't it? But uh, have you come here very often in the past? Um, yeah, I usually make an annual trip to spend the whole day. And I'm lucky that my daughter lives the other side of the country, so I have to pass by here, so I usually stop off for two or three hours at a time. So five or six times a year I come in, so... And we can hear the plane, planes right in the background as well. So thanks, gents, for coming. Really appreciate it. And uh, joining us as well is uh, Captain Nick Anderson. And uh, great to see you again, Nick. Hi there, Nev. It's an absolute pleasure to see you. And thank you very much indeed for lunch. Jeff, we're going to have to do something special for Nev at Pittsburgh because he's just put us all a uh, gorgeous lunch. And we're having a marvellous time here. I'm listening to the stories of these guys uh, doing uh, their spotting. Uh, their interest in aviation just amazes me. I, I love it. The fact that they uh, enjoy the APG makes them uh, heroes in my mind. So uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm delighted to be down here, uh, taking a, a few hours out of my day to come meet them, and uh, look forward to seeing them again sometime in the future, perhaps. Yeah, it's been a great day, hasn't it? And thank you very much indeed, gents, for coming. It's been absolutely superb. Thank you. All right, that's it. Great audio. Thank you, Nev, for sharing that with us, and uh, Nick for joining them. Oh, it's a pleasure. It was a, it was a nice day. Uh, you could definitely have a, um, a, a great interest in aviation. Uh, the things they could tell me about all the different uh, paint schemes and airlines and aircraft types and who was going where, how and why, I was very impressed. <laughs> so we got, uh, well, three meetups uh, out of the way, I think. Or is that number four? I don't know. Um, let's see. I had a meetup, by the way. Um, not long after we did last week's show on, um, was it Saturday? No, it was Sunday that, uh, somebody from the UK came into town. And, uh, if you've been watching any of the audio or the, uh, aviation podcasts, uh, recently, you've seen this guy over and over and over again. 
His name is Adam Spink. He works at the Heathrow Tower, and he was here in Atlanta at uh, Acme Airlines for a big conference. And uh, so we, uh, when I say we, I mean Dispatcher Mike and I and Adam met up, and here is a little bit of audio from that. We are at the brake pad. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on. I got, I'm not up to Nick's standards here, so uh, let me see. We are at the brake pad. Restaurant and bar? I don't know. What, what is this place called? Brake pad. And uh, you would think that uh, that's not a great name for a place to get something to eat and drink. But it's actually not bad. So we've had some good beer and uh, great food. And, of course, the best part of it is the company. And uh, I'm here with Mike Carroll's Dispatcher Mike and a special guest all the way from across the pond. We have Adam Spink. And uh, I know that many of you who listen to the APG and also listen to PTUK and Plain Safety uh, have uh, heard a lot from Adam recently in fact now that i'm thinking about it maybe maybe i should just not do this recording because you probably heard too much from adam no, no such thing anyway so uh he is here over in the states actually in atlanta for a conference and when uh, dispatcher mike and i heard that he was going to be here we thought we need to get together and uh, have some uh, good conversation along with good food and good beer so adam welcome to atlanta thank you very much jeff yeah, it's good to be here. Um, I'm here for a, uh, a conference uh, about GBAS. So uh, four days starting tomorrow. So by Thursday night when I fly back to the UK, I'm sure I'll, my brain will be frazzled with all the technical, uh, technical things that have been discussed at the conference. But yeah, looking forward to it. So, they, uh, so you're here for some kind of a bass fishing something or other? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> G-Bass, uh, which I know has been spoken about on the podcast a few times, uh, ground-based augmentation system. Uh, so uh, the future may be in terms of uh, precision landing aids, um, but uh, so this, this, is, uh, this conference is basically airlines, airports, air navigation service providers all getting together and discussing the challenges of introducing this new system and, and uh, how we can accelerate it. Have you been to Atlanta before? Or is this your first visit? No, this is my first visit. Yep, so it's uh, interesting to, to look out the window of my hotel and see three arrival streams. So maybe taking a few notes on, uh, on how that works. <laughs> what do you think of our wonderful weather? It was very nice yesterday when I arrived, very nice and balmy. Um, this morning was a bit, uh, a bit colder, a bit cooler, but there was a big rain shower that just went through as we arrived at the restaurant here. So. Uh, yeah, not great, but uh, hopefully should improve the next few days. I would imagine that's probably not too different than the kind of weather that you get uh, where you're from, right? No, certainly we're, we're used to the rain. I, I actually, Dispatcher Mike picked me up from my hotel earlier. I showed him my umbrella, so I bought my own umbrella. Very British thing to do. Uh, it, we didn't quite see the, the wind that accompanied the rain earlier in the UK, but uh, yeah, we, we, we're known for our rain. What do you call it? A, a, a brelly or something like that? Or? Broly. Broly, okay. Uh, Mike, 
Hey, uh, hello, APG crew. Yeah, this got started when uh, Adam sent uh, Captain Nick a message about good places to eat around the Atlanta airport. And Nick said, uh, I don't know. I don't uh, stay by the Atlanta airport. And uh, so he sent me my way. And then this has kind of been on the books and planned to come together, get together, to get everything, uh, everybody together to go ahead and uh, do this. Um, Hopefully, I was planning on hopefully taking Adam flying around Hartsfield-Jackson, around the surface area, um, just to show him what the three arrival streams and the departure streams look like from the air, but uh, and ask him if we could get this close at Heathrow to maybe do the same thing, which I already know the answer is. Um, but uh, unfortunately, the weather today didn't work out. So, but uh, I'm really excited about GBAS. We learned a little bit about it in uh, our dispatcher training. Um, this last uh, recurrent class last week, so I actually knew what GBAS was to start with, and I knew that our new airplane was going to have it. Um, but other than that, no, it's a great time, great time being out here. I think GBAS is Lance Bass's uh, younger brother, <laughs> right? But he has a deep voice. Oh, never mind. Okay, I'm sorry. Bad joke. All right, well, that's a little uh, taste of our uh, meetup, little mini meetup here uh, in. College Park, I guess, is the exact locale at the uh, Brake Pad restaurant and nah, I would, wouldn't call it a brewery, but a restaurant and bar. Yeah, it's an all gas station. It's, it's pretty cool, actually. So uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed that. And uh, it's been great being with you guys here today. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. See ya. How'd I do, Captain Nick? Very nice, sir. Very good. Very Just natural. on the fly there. <laughs> You're very seamless. Great speaking voice. <laughs> you know, he keeps, uh, you know, one-upping us on the uh, on the audio feedback, so. Yeah. I know. Well, I can't even remember to bring my own audio recording device, so. <laughs> <laughs> so we got all those uh, meetups out of the way. We have There's one more meetup, actually, that we'll go ahead and play since we're on the uh, meetup theme at the beginning of the show here. Uh, and this was sent in. Well, I'll let them just tell you themselves. Hello, APGers. This is Dave Abbey. I'm here in Teterboro, New Jersey, where I've spent an incredible day with another great member of the APG community, and I'll let him say hello. Hi, guys. Uh, hi, APG listeners, wherever you are. It's uh, Amara Kat, uh from Teterboro. I'm normally from Toronto, but this week, I'm from Teterboro. Yep. And Amar uh, has been extremely generous with his time. Amar is down from Toronto at the flight, coming to the Flight Safety International Training Center in Teterboro to get some recurrent training on the Falcon 900EX, which he flies for his career. And uh, so today he had a couple of sim sessions. And thanks to the great APG community building, Captain by Jeff and company. We got to meet today for the first time and spent about eight hours together and we didn't get along too well, but I I think it worked out okay. So uh, I sat in on a couple of sim sessions that Amar generously um, invited me to. An incredible experience. And how did your training go, Amar, this week? Well, I thought it went pretty good, but you commented my landings were a bit hard. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, but no, the the training went very good. I'm just, uh, you know, you you get pretty tired when when you're doing this um, one week and 
you're you're here every six months and it's sort of the same old thing. But th th this time around was uh, a lot more interesting. I've been doing it's more focused on uh, HGS training, uh, heads up guidance, uh, enhanced vision approaches, low vis approaches. So that's been pretty good. So uh, I'll be here till the 26th. By the time this comes out, it's probably it's in June or July or maybe next year. Um, but I, I, I got to say uh, thanks to Captain Jeff and Airline Pilot Guy Show because um, if, if you didn't do this, this wouldn't have been possible. I wouldn't have met Dave and, or David. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just amazing. I feel like I have friends everywhere I go. And the moment I saw David, felt comfortable with him. It's like I've known him for years. So um, way to go, Captain Jeff. Awesome, awesome community. Yeah, I second that. We uh, really, really appreciate it. And uh, we both, unfortunately, won't make the Pittsburgh meetup, although we, we wish we could. So, uh, you know, when I asked uh, I asked Captain Bell if he could just push it back a week or two, but uh, I guess that's not going to happen. But anyway, just wanted to say thanks. We, we, loved, we loved meeting up, had a great time, got each, uh, each of our new friends. And thanks again to you, and uh, take care. Bye-bye. Excellent. Guys, it's so great to hear of all these people all around the world. I mean, I literally mean all around the world. We hear uh, meetups over in the Netherlands and the UK and, uh, you know, as in this case in uh, New Jersey. Uh, it's just so cool to see that. You're not waiting for us, the crew, to be there. I mean, you don't need us. <laughs> it's all, nah, we're not. We're not important yeah. at all. Just No, we just happen to be the yourself. ones just blabbing every week about whatever. You know, it's uh, really everybody, everybody listening right now. That's who makes up. That's what makes this uh, this whole thing great, I think. So thank you for uh, for doing that, for for meeting up with each other and sharing your passion. And uh, we'll do our best to continue to share ours as well. As long as you keep sending us money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's great. So thank you, uh, David, for um, for recording that. That was awesome. Jeff, you need to hold up $100 bills when you do that. Yeah, I know, and Dana was holding up several $100 bills, which kind of, yeah. is that the way you get paid, Dana? I mean, I get uh, like a direct deposit to my bank. Do, do they actually give you cash? <laughs> it's $100 bills. <laughs> what they is pay, going on? They, they pay me not to come to work. <laughs> so Dana's not they officially on the payroll. Every, every day you don't show up, they're like, here's $100. <laughs> uh, every day they show up, here's $500. Please don't come in. <laughs> it makes, don't, the best. You don't look good in that uniform. It makes the tax. Uh, you know, filling out the tax forms really easy. <laughs> Zero income. Zero income. It's perfect. Yeah, I normally can. Uh, yeah. The best. I, I actually, because I do uh, ride my motorcycle, it's always a very good idea to have cash. And I had a buddy of mine that flipped his motorcycle out in the middle of nowhere in North Georgia, and the tow truck showed up and they laughed when none of us had cash. So uh, since that day, I always carry at least several bills in there. I, so I carry several $100 bills when I fly with Dana because, you know, you never know when you're going to need it to bail them out. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I was going to say, I'm in, I'm in the wrong profession because all I have here at my desk is some loose change. Oh, we feel so sorry for Steph. Dr. Steph, I should add. Well, there's a reason why you carried $1 bills, Jeff. I'm just not going to say why in here. <laughs> <laughs> for my tips when I'm, when yeah. I'm riding in the van. That's why. Yeah. What type of tips, Jeff? Uh, I give great advice. Okay. Uh, let's see. So I'm looking through here at our little audio files from all the different meetups. I think we actually knocked them all out. So um, 
Let's see. We do have some more things to talk about, though. Uh, wings over Pittsburgh. Yay. It's only two weeks away, basically. Um, I'm going to be arriving on uh, just shy of two weeks on Wednesday. So Thursday, a lot of folks are going to be showing up at uh, Pittsburgh International Airport in Coriopolis. And let's see, I have in my notes here, T-shirts. Okay, so I had mentioned on the last show that I am going to, and by the way, people are asking, well, how do I, how much are the shirts and how much, you know, how do we pay you? Don't worry about it. It's my gift to you, the the gift from the Airline Pilot Guy crew to all those who are actually going to be at the air show in person. And uh, so we're, uh, if you would please, um, in, a, in just a couple more days here, I'm going to have to put in the order for the actual shirts, which are going to be a camouflage version of a, uh, of a shirt. And it's going to have the um, APG over Pittsburgh and the Acme logo on it. Um, and we need to hear from you. If you're going to be attending the air show, please send an email. Now, listen closely, because many of you apparently didn't hear me. Don't send it to the feedback email. Send it to Jeff at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Jeff at AirlinePilotGuy.com. And in the subject line, put T-shirt or wing WOP T-shirt or something like that. And uh, that way I'll be able to see your request for a shirt and I'll put you on the spreadsheet. And then I'm going to order some uh, heat transfers and the shirts. And uh, here in my man cave slash print studio, I'm going to uh, print those up for everyone. And I'm going to bring them with me and distribute them when I'm in Pittsburgh. So, again, contact me if you want a T-shirt. They're free. Jeff at Airline Pilot Guy. And Dana, would you like one, even though you're not going to be there? Please, because okay. I don't have any Acme shirts. You can tell me uh, the song. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna. I have a tip for you. After tip for you, after we uh, talk a little bit more about Wings Over Pittsburgh, where you can go to get your APG gear. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, Twitter. Uh, oh yeah, somebody was asking. Okay, so are there going to be any meetups? Well, of course. The whole point of us going up there is to meet the community. And uh, the official meetup that we have set up is Saturday night, where we're going to do a live recording and a big meetup at the hotel uh, at which we're most most of us are staying, the Courtyard by Marriott Hotel, right across the street from the front gate of the 9/11th Reserve Airlift Wing. Again, that's the uh, I think was it 450 Charrington Parkway or something like that in Coriopolis. Again, that's the uh, courtyard by Marriott, right across the street from the uh, reserve wing. And we're going to have the meetup there at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. But many of us are going to be in there. As I said, I'm going to be there on Wednesday night. I'm going to have a meetup with Micah and his friend Eric. And uh, Thursday and Friday and probably Sunday, uh, we're going to be all hanging around somewhere. So uh, I think the best advice... Uh, for uh, from us is to follow us on Twitter at APG crew and uh, we'll try to be good you know um, Nick and Steph you know remind me to uh, put out or we can all do this together put out tweets about where we are what we're planning on doing where we're going to be for lunch where we're going to be for dinner and so there are going to be several little micro meetups uh, during the time that we're all there and also, if you don't have the Swarm app on your phone, uh, you can install it for free. Again, that's S-W-A-R-M, Swarm. It's part of the, what do they call that, the Foursquare app or something like that. But anyway, it's called Swarm. And you can uh, put in a request to become a friend. 
and uh, just look for Captain, C-A-P-T-A-I-N, Jeff, and I'll say, sure, you can be my friend, and then I'll try to remember to, you know, check in at various places so you can kind of keep track of where we are. So that's what we have to say about meetups. Anything to add to that, uh, Steph or Nick? Mm, I don't think so. I think that covers it for meetups. Okay. Um, Let's see. Micah wanted us to mention that there is a special um, prohibition against bags larger than 12 by 12 inches. I'm not sure how many centimeters that is. You'll have to do your own metric conversion. Uh, But anything more than 12, basically a foot by a foot uh, bag has to be made of clear material uh, or they will not be permitted on base. Strollers and folding lawn chairs are permitted. Pop-up canopies, so those of you coming over from uh, overseas, do not bring up your pop-up canopies. No, whatever. Uh, okay. All bags are subject to search. There will be metal detectors prior to base entry, no exceptions. And they have on this list, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, things that are prohibited. Backpacks, I guess unless they're clear. Duffel bags, coolers, scooters, pets. Oh, Taco. Staff, you can't bring taco. Um, Balloons. Absolutely heartbroken. Brass knuckles? What? Don't bring them. Leave them at home. Oh, man. Okay. Jeff? Box cutters, fireworks. Dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Darts, alcoholic beverages. Oh, that's a big... uh, Oh, well. Uh, Uh, Anyway. Sorry, Jeff. What did you just say there? (laughs) (laughs) And and Nick, this is for you. Alcoholic beverage. Uh, Illegal drugs. Got to leave them at home. Water guns. <laughs> That's what the list says. Uh, uniforms worn by non-military persons. Uh-oh. <laughs> I hope they don't think that our camouflage t-shirt is a uniform. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, uh, Micah gave us a nice link to uh, Amazon.com uh, for some uh, representative uh, clear backpacks and such. So we'll hopefully have all that in the show notes for you to check out. So again, Uh, Looking forward to meeting you all at the uh, Wings Over Pittsburgh Air Show. If you want your APG Over Pittsburgh t-shirt, please contact me, Jeff, at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Okay, Uh, let's see. And then finally, speaking of APG gear, uh, Steph and um, Captain Nick, especially Captain Nick and myself, have been working on merchandise and we have a couple different ways now we've been using teespring for a while that's still an option and by the way um uh, at some point you'll be able to actually find our apg t-shirt on amazon.com but uh i don't think it's there yet but uh, teespring is a way to get uh, double-sided you know so if you want the you know relax um electronic devices powered on that kind of thing on the back you'll have to go order your shirt through teespring but i think it's mostly us only now the way we have it set up but do not despair we have red bubble or red buble um dot com <laughs> and uh you can now that sounds fancier doesn't it uh, sounds like a singer <laughs> yeah uh michael buble or whatever his yes. name is yes. um Anyway, uh, you can find, not only can you find t-shirts, you can find uh, different uh, designs of, of shirts and stuff. But, I mean, they have, uh, what, travel mugs, they have phone coffee mugs, phone and... cases. I ordered a, um, a laptop, um, what do they call it, a skin for the, for the top lid of my uh, laptop that has the APG kind of in a, in a large print and diagonally 
situated. So, uh, the, I mean, uh, iPhone cases, uh, pillows, uh, they have all kinds of stuff. Scarves. I think it, they even they might even have leggings. <laughs> oh, stuff. Yeah. They have the latest dresses. Oh, they have yeah. the duvet yeah. covers. The mini skirts. Yeah, the whole nine yards. All kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, so if you're in the U.K., uh, or, you know, in Europe, I guess the, uh, they have a set, it's set up so that they can print it over there and your shipping doesn't cost so much and it doesn't take so darn long to get to you. So, uh, check it out. Now, the only downside to Redbubble is the fact that if you're going to order a shirt, it's only one-sided printing. So it's only going to be whatever you see on the front of the shirt. For some reason, they don't, they don't do double-sided printing as far as I can figure out. No, they definitely don't. I have been onto them. Okay. Very good. All right, so if you want to check out that, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash store. That's AirlinePilotGuy.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. <sighs> I think we made it through yeah. our intro section now that we're in the <laughs> One hour, exactly, second hour of the show. Oh I know, I know. Well, it's we crazy. covered a lot of important stuff with our yeah, – we were we very did. social this week. So It was worth it, was, I think. Yes. Now, you might not think so, listener. <laughs> but but uh but we do. Okay. Uh so that means we should move on then to the Java Jive. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. And the Java Jive, we'll try to make this quick today. Is uh, your way to support the show financially. Again, you can head over to our great website, Arash kind of manages that. Thank you, Arash. Uh, and uh, again, that's airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And you can to, to use a couple different methods to contribute to the show. Uh, the Coffee Fund Classic method. And since the last show, we've had three folks do that. Matthew Buntingframe uh, in Australia sent us a very nice contribution to the beer fund, he specified. And uh, Tony Stubbings also. Thank you very much, Tony. And Steve Trumbull, uh, he's a, a recurring contributor via the Coffee Fund Classic method, which is PayPal. And the other way to do it is by uh, becoming a patron of the show via Patreon. And new patrons at Patreon since the last show are Steve Andrus, Stephen Perry, and a new executive producer. The $5 per episode level and up is Chris Elrod. Thank you very much for your generous contributions. Later in the show... Oh, you can't hear the Java Jive? No. Nope. Okay. Well, I'll just have to edit that in after after we record here. But I'm hearing it. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Let's see. Where was I? Oh, later in the show, we're going to be uh, mentioning those who are part of the uh, top three categories, executive producers and up. And so I uh, look forward to naming all those great folks. But again, if you want to become a producer, uh, just a dollar is all it takes to become a patron at the producer level and to receive the, uh, the what do we call it, the uh, APG crew log, a periodic recording of uh, some extra stuff that we put out there for our coffee fund cadre. So... Thank you again very much for your wonderful contributions to the show. We do appreciate it. From the wonderful mug, I'll cut a rug till I'm snug in the jug. Drop a nickel in the pot, Joe.
I take them a slow Wait a wait a percolator And now, time for the news. Stand by for news. Exactly, Miami Hick. What's it doing now? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with pilot error. Okay, we'll start off with uh, this one. This is an interesting one. Were you able to, uh, any of you uh, able to watch this uh, video at all from the uh, Kansas City International Airport? No, uh, and I hadn't even heard about this one. <laughs> yeah, did, they didn't really. It's just been too... Uh, yeah, they, saturated. They, I don't think I didn't really see a lot of play of this on uh, a national level here in the U.S. Uh, but uh, we'll put a link to the um, article in the show notes where you can watch this video. But um, basically, uh, there's some surveillance footage showing the tense moments leading up to an altercation last week between a pilot and a passenger at Kansas City International Airport in Missouri, KMCI. The video shows two men entering the airport through an American Airlines gate on April 12th. Actually, they're exiting. They have just come in from a flight, and they have exited the uh, security gate, and they're in that kind of uh, that inner ring uh, where you are between where the gates are in Kansas City and where the where the street is, uh-huh. where all the all the. That's the airport where all the gates kind of have their own individual yeah. security. Yeah, because they designed the thing, you know, before. 9-11 and all the security and uh, it was very convenient. Now it's kind of crazy because they've had to do, adapt the uh, airport and security um, and seems like a, a huge waste of resources. But every like three or four gates has a full contingent of TSA right. security people. But um, anyway, so this security footage, uh, I can't believe that a journalist was wrong, but uh, was actually not you know, inside his security was outside and they were leaving uh, and he was heading toward his car or whatever. When um, so the surveillance video shows one man wearing a pilot's uniform, the other is wearing a blue shirt, later identified by authorities as Edward Foster, a passenger. Foster appears to follow the pilot through the airport, arguing with him. Foster told authorities the altercation began when the pilot, who was traveling as a passenger on the same flight, so he was probably commuting home, was, quote, taking up too much room on the aircraft and being disrespectful, according to an incident report filed by the Kansas City International Airport Police Department. That led Foster, the angry passenger, to follow the pilot outside the secure area in an attempt to take a cell phone photo of his badge. So the guy's, you know, he has his phone and he's trying to walk in front of the pilot to uh, get a picture of this guy's badge. And uh, basically, I'm not going to read any more of the article, but the, uh, the pilot sees this guy you know running in front of him with a camera phone and he's trying to take a picture of his badge and he he basically knocks the phone out of his hand and that of course uh, upset the uh, passenger and then the two just start going at it and they're they're like tussling <laughs> and like pushing each other and having a fight and all that kind of stuff so um apparently yeah, i read about that one yeah did you uh so he was um i guess the 
passenger was arrested. He was charged with intentionally inflicting injury on the pilot. His court date is set for May 16th. He could face a fine or up to 180 days in jail. So I thought uh, you need to check out the uh, video because it's kind of like, whoa, now I got to worry about passengers like attacking me in the in the concourse. <laughs> oh, yep. man. Yeah. There's no just respect. no respect. Yep. Just no respect. <clears throat> Uh, you know, I, was, I was having the uh, conversation. Uh, actually, went to the doctor's office today and having the conversation uh, about uh, that exact issue. And uh, the the real issue is is that this latest uh, latest thing with United and of course I'm American. You know, back in the day, not too long ago, nobody had cell phones with cameras. Now everybody has a cell phone and a camera, and, and everybody wants to video record and and do all this stuff. So it's actually uh, it's actually causing some issues, as you know, we're seeing with Oak City. I mean, not Oak City, but uh, Kansas City. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think the problem, too, is that a lot of times you get these short clips of recordings because as something's going on, people, you know, they're like fumbling for their phone. Like, oh, let's take a you know video of this and put it on social media. But you've missed the beginning part of whatever happened. So I think you're in a lot of cases seeing one side of the story. Um and that's what kind of gets me about a lot of these things. It's like, yeah, there was bad behavior clearly on multiple, you know, sides or on both sides of the issue. But what happened leading up to this? And I, I don't think you can right, because, get the whole story. Or know yeah, you're, you, you don't have do the that. full context of what's what's going right. on or what happened before the video started. And that's a, a case in point is the American Airlines uh, incident with the lady with the stroller and everything else. And I was reading some other reports from other passengers saying, well, this really all started way in the back of the airplane, not in the first, you know, in the front part of the airplane uh, where the first class passenger got up and started saying, you know, and started getting into it with the uh, other, with the flight attendant, the male flight attendant. And they said, no, there, there's more to the story and let me tell you about it. So, you know, there's, we can't know exactly everything unless there are cameras continually running, which I hope that we never get to that point, but I guess we might uh, <laughs> to capture not. every single moment and every single word uttered by people and everything else. But bottom line is folks, come on, just, you know, be civil to each other and let's, you know, don't act crazy. And by the way, I, I should mention that uh, Dana, I don't know if you heard about this, but I think it was just uh, very recently. I just saw in the news, um, our airline had an incident where a guy was, getting up to use the bathroom uh, when the, you know, there were like number two or three in line for takeoff and they told him to sit down. He couldn't because he was about to pee in his pants apparently. And uh, so they went back to the gate and told him to get off the airplane. He refused. So they deplaned everybody from the flight and then they boarded again, except they didn't let that guy get back on. And I'm thinking, you wow, know, that I'm not sure that that was the right way to handle that situation. But again, I wasn't there. I don't know all the details. You know, we only see what we see on on reports, news reports. And a lot of times, as we are well aware, they don't quite get it right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're not really sure exactly what happened in that case. But yeah, as Miami Hick just said. Delta P. <laughs> no, we're not talking about pressuriz- pressurization differential. Ding. Yeah. Thank you. It, it's not going to be long before we get uh, CCTV cameras throughout the inside of the aircraft so that we record every cabin and and uh, the actions of everyone on board. 
uh, I'm sure, because uh, we've already got it all over other types of transport, trains and buses in the UK. I don't know about the States, but it mm -hmm. really yeah. wouldn't surprise me that uh, uh, we'll soon be able to pull up uh, a full recording of passenger um, problems or crew problems, if that's what it turns out to be, yeah. and be able to uh, submit that in court or at least use it to uh, debrief people on their, a better way of uh, addressing these some of these problems. You are absolutely correct. And I really failed everybody because I forgot to start that whole last incident uh, with this sound clip. Oh, it's not very loud. <laughs> Haven't heard that in a while. Yeah. But I feel like for these past two weeks, it should have just been on, you know, repeat. Just, <laughs> like just in the background for the playing it. Yes. <laughs> well, we no. can kind of keep it going uh, because there's another incident. Go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, you guys travel in uniform a lot when you're deadheading. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. I mean, the problem there lies when you're in uniform and a representative of your airline, uh, you just have to be so careful about your behavior. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to uh, to have the airline turn around and say, and you say that you didn't handle a situation with a disgruntled passenger. Uh, and the fact that you were wearing a uniform uh, makes you liable for disciplinary action. So you, I don't know about this guy and the problems that he's having. And I realized that um, the, it looks like he's being supported by his airline. But uh, it seems to me that the best way when you've got one of these problems is just try and calm the bloke down. And if necessary, you call uh, the airline staff over to uh, sort the guy out rather than try and take him on yourself. But, uh, it, you know, it, it's such a difficult thing. You've got to be so careful when you are got your badges on, got your uniform on, yep. to make sure that your personal behavior is absolutely above reproach. That's correct. I mean, I'm glad you brought Very that true. point out because, you know, you're representing your airline and you may actually be riding on another airline, but you're still, you know, you're representing the airline profession as a whole. So you should behave yourself. Now, you know, maybe this guy wasn't doing anything wrong. Maybe the passenger took something the wrong way. I don't know, you know, but we don't know. We'll probably never know. But that's a no. good point. You have to be very, you know, cognizant of the fact that, uh, you know, you are representing your airline in the least and uh, the whole industry at the most. So, yeah, at the least you need to uh, ensure that you do nothing that puts your job in jeopardy. That's right. That is Absolutely true. Absolutely correct. Couldn't agree with you more. All right. Uh, this one, uh, we'll just talk quickly about this one, but I thought it was kind of cute. This article about this midair meltdown fueled by duty-free whiskey and free champagne that forced a Boeing mm. 747, yay, to divert to <laughs> Manchester. I think you, she was uh, woohooing the uh, free whiskey and free champagne. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So... Uh, so father bought it in duty free. Father of two. I'm not sure why. What what the pertinence is to this uh, context? Incident. It's all context. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, now we have the background. Okay. Zai Lebhart, 31 years old, got so nervous on board the Canada-bound flight from Frankfurt, he repeatedly locked himself in the toilet, where he screamed and ripped panels off the walls. The crew on board tried to calm down the former Israeli army captain, but Lebhart, who had been drinking duty-free whiskey and champagne, began spitting in the aisle. The captain was alerted amid fears that he might cause a major incident over the Atlantic. The Lufthansa 747 flight made an emergency landing. I don't know. I, this is not an emergency landing. This is a diversion. Let's call it what it really is. 
in Manchester, 3,700 miles from its destination at Toronto, after the captain was forced to dump up to 36 tons of fuel and Lebhart and his luggage were removed. The plane took off again two hours later, but the airline estimated the cost of the diversion at 20,000 euros due to other passengers missing connecting flights. The bill didn't include the cost for unexpected grounding nor the cost of the refueling. Um, so this, let's see, he was given a three-month suspended jail term and an order to pay 200 pounds in costs after the JPs were told he was being sued by Lufthansa for the cost of diverting the flight. So uh, let me scroll down to the really good part here. Lebhart said, I'm quite shocked and devastated. It never happened to me in my entire life. I'm not a drinker. Yeah, let, right. let that sink in a little bit. I'm not a drinker. I was just so excited to see my missus. It will never happen again in my life. I swear. I want to come back to my kids and be a law-abiding citizen again. I am a normal person. I'm, I'm so ashamed to be in this position. Okay, so this uh, non-drinker, Lebhart drank 200 milliliters of duty-free whiskey, as well as the complimentary champagne on board the aircraft. Uh, apparently, he actually had a drink, a glass of wine, on on the previous flight from Israel to Frankfurt. Um, and let's see. So, uh, by the way, drinking the duty-free whiskey, uh, which you know he drank three quarters of the bottle, uh, is not allowed, uh, according to Lufthansa. And let's see. Uh, he returned to his seat and was behaving in an erratic manner. He then spat across the aisle, the saliva landing on the floor. Uh, basically, it goes on. But he ended up being in the aisle of the uh, aircraft, and I think he basically passed out uh, finally. Um, so That's, It's only a quarter of a bottle of whiskey. Oh, just a quarter. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's only wasn't there just a quarter left? I don't know. No, when well, it says he drank 200 milliliters, it's a thousand mils so oh, in one okay. liter. So uh, that's not a, not a vast amount. It's certainly enough to make you tipsy. Well, this says um, he was shown the bottle of whiskey, which was three quarters empty. <laughs> so someone's got their milliliters wrong, man. <laughs> yeah, probably so. <laughs> huh? Yeah, because it wouldn't unless it was like a like a tiny bottle of whiskey. Do they make yeah. uh, smaller? bottle yeah, I yeah, like do. yeah. yeah well he's not a drinker so i mean i'm sure it wasn't a big bottle nah. no, couldn't couldn't have been couldn't have, not possible yeah okay oh this is the best part of it <laughs> here's a quote he is from tel aviv and people say they are very brash and loud and in your face rather like new yorkers <laughs> thinking, <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking did they really just type that in the uh to put that in the report uh in this article yes they did that is uh, that is rude <laughs> uh, and funny, too. Okay. That was from the uh, Manchester Evening News dot co dot UK. And uh, yeah, people, come on. Come I mean, on. just yeah. how hard is it to act like, know, a human being? act like a human being, be nice to everyone, follow the rules. <laughs> apparently, don't lock yourself in the toilet. Apparently difficult. Apart. Just yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think personally, the uh, the what he was uh, <clears throat> the charge was, or I should say, the result of the charge was pretty light, wasn't it? I mean, uh, we're talking. Uh, what did they give him? They gave him a two hundred pounds and a suspended sentence. But I think they. But I think that they. 
they I think that what their point was is that they did that because they heard that Lufthansa was going to take him for a civil uh, lawsuit to to get well, this that, that, twenty thousand. That shouldn't affect uh, yeah. a criminal um, court, uh, surely, because uh, they, Lufthansa may not. Uh, they That's haven't true. got around to it yet. They, it may have just been a rumor. That's true. Ploy by the defense. So just hit the guy with the whole nine yards. Yeah. Yeah, they should make him pay the whole whole diversion fee. Absolutely. Yep. That make people think twice. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see. We have an incident at Denver. Uh, this is from the Aviation Herald and American Airlines A321 at Denver on April 12th. Rejected takeoff due to an unlocked thrust reverser. Anyway, that's what they say here. Um, I think it actually was something else. I think the unlocked thrust reverser was a result of a compressor stall. But I wasn't there, and I'm not an expert by far. But I do have... Um, I put together some audio, um, some audio files from air traffic control um, from liveatc.net, and also um, a video taken from the inside the airplane, uh, just aft of the right wing uh, where the right engine is, and uh, that's the one that had the trouble on their takeoff roll. It was a uh, a V twenty five thirty three model engine, and so I kind of put. All of it together. I tried to be a little creative here, so let's take a... Now, also realize that this is put together, you know, some from air traffic control communications, some from inside the airplane. Uh, the timing of everything may be a little off. 1820, Are you with me? Op six, we're going to show runway eight closed. And 
top six. I'm going to put American over under a different frequency for you. You can have 120.15, 2015. American 1820, switch to frequency 120.15, 2015 operations is coming your way. They'll be on that frequency. 2015, Roger, American 1820. This is Com Center with an alert. Runway 8, midfield, American 1020, has stuck reversers and engine trouble. Top 6, copy the alert. Make alert 1 notification, please. 1, Pimpton midfield, runway 8. I'm clear. What's the problem? Uh, engine trouble and the reversers are stuck. I don't have any further information. Thank you. Tom Center, all red equipment on the east side responding to the alert on runway 8. Eddie's at the uh, intersection of Romeo 6. At red lead, it's going to be an Airbus A320. goes on a little bit more <clears throat> and uh, i thought it was interesting to hear the that was both the uh, ground control actually uh tower and also what uh, they called the public safety channel so the uh, crash fire rescue um frequency kind of cool to hear what's going on there when they get the alert that uh, something's going on and uh, uh the uh so some of the comments from this uh, again from the aviation herald uh, the last one that I have here uh, was um, this passenger said, I was on the flight, seat F row 23, I believe, uh, was my row. I still have the ticket, just in case anybody, you know, doubts whether or not he was on it. Um, <laughs> Authentic. Yes. Authentic. Uh, let me show you a picture. Uh, when leaving the aircraft, maintenance stated during the conversation I had overheard, stated that it appears to be a compressor blade stress failure. <laughs> Uh, scary experience, still freaked out a bit when thinking about it. Now, I think probably what he actually heard was a compressor stall um, and perhaps the and I'm thinking that uh, maybe during the compressor compressor stall, it like knocked one of the, um, the switches for the indication of the uh, thrust reverse uh, activated or whatever. But I mean, maybe the re reverse did come out, but I don't think that that's actually what happened initially. I think that that was just a consequence or a symptom of. The compressor stall but again i'm, I'm not there I, I i didn't you know witness it myself but obviously the crew was kind of perplexed as to what happened as well but uh, mm -hmm. nobody was hurt 
and I uh, thought it was kind of interesting to hear both from the outside and the inside what what, what happened on this um, on this aborted takeoff. Yeah, you really kind of get the whole picture of absolutely being there. That's good. Yeah, it's amazing how much yeah. goes on behind the scenes when something like this happens that normally we are not even aware of. Right. And I was I was hoping to get the actual you know when they switched them over to 2015, uh, but there was no uh, on live ATC. I had to actually go into live ATC and try to figure out about what time frame this occurred, and you know I extracted all you know sometimes it's already there, somebody's already done the work, but uh, I was able to get all that stuff and put it together, and so I thought that was kind of it was kind of fun, little That's project. Nice job, actually. So, uh, but unfortunately, we didn't have the. I would love to have heard the crew uh, talking with the crash fire rescue people uh, to, you know, to hear that conversation, but sure. uh, didn't have that, now, unfortunately. Out of interest, now this is uh, 330, not a 3.20. We've got Captain Al in the chat room, and he's a 3.20 skipper, so he can possibly connect to me uh, if there's a difference. But on the 3.30, uh, the FADAC uh, automatically commands the engine to idle, and the reverser to stow if at least one door is unstowed by more than 5%, and reverse thrust is not selected while the engine is running. The affected reverser will remain pressurized after affected door is locked back. If the door is still detected unstowed, the engine will remain at idle for the rest of the flight. So there's a fair amount of protection if it does come out. Uh, and, of course, the um, reverses themselves have multiple uh, locks and uh, the hydraulics should be depressurized unless they're physically selected. So uh, it's not a very common occurrence. It's quite common to have a reverser unlock after you've used it, Jeff, which is what you're thinking, I'm pretty sure, because uh, when you uh, close the reverses, sometimes the doors don't. Uh, completely close and then a proximity switch will indicate that you still got a reverser unlocked but uh, exactly what happened here and we'd have to get some more information yeah obviously there was a big bang we heard that in the uh, passenger uh, video and uh, if you actually it's worth watching this video that i'll put a link to in the in the show notes that the passenger took or actually if you look at the aviation herald article it has the youtube link but you can actually see the um the the fireball come out the back of the uh, engine. That's why I suspect oh, it was right. a a compressor yeah. stall. Well, and, that certainly sounds like a stall, doesn't it? Yeah, it did. And yeah, it um, like it. and it's funny. It's immediately after you hear the the bang, you hear some kid go ah. <laughs> scream. I know. <laughs> I did laugh at that just a little bit. <laughs> it's and then nice. and then yeah. another lady oh, almost almost immediately as a as a tire a tire popped tire popped yeah <laughs> it did I'll kind of sound like a tire yeah. popping um some somebody in the comments said uh commentary here said that uh they thought that that was the uh what, what do they call that uh hydraulic system the the p uh, ptu or whatever uh you know that uh -huh. sometimes we refer to as making that dog. barking dog sound <laughs> and there's a no that that did not sound like the ptu that sounded like some kid oh wait a minute i hear i hear a dog barking barking dog must be a ptu <laughs> must be and that's not to be confused with a PTUK. Yes. Anyway, so uh, now uh, Captain Al in the in the in the chat room here said, uh, "I am waiting for for the pan call, the pan 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 call." Well, you know what, Al, 
here in the U.S., you're not going to really hear that ever. <laughs> so you're going to you're going to die waiting to hear gonna, us say. You're not going to hear a mayday call either. No, you're not. Yeah, hear a that few either. expletives. Yeah. <laughs> what the? Yeah, but uh, yeah. What you're, the hell? I mean. Well, you know, we're we're trained. We just say, you know, we're aborting the takeoff or we've rejected the takeoff or aborted the takeoff. I tell my first officer, that's what I would like him to do once we have the airplane under control and, you know, coming close to a stop. I'll make the PA to the folks, the passengers, as this captain did. And then we're going to try to figure out what's going on and what we need to do from there and whether we need to initiate an emergency evacuation. And uh, from the looks of it, looks like they did a good job. Let's see. Al says, hearing the bang leads me to believe that the reverser wasn't unlocked, but the top item on the E slash WD would be the ECAM for a reverser unlocked, which is semi-spurious. What has he been taking? What kind of drug is he taking? EWD is the engine uh, stroke <laughs> warning display. Oh, okay. Uh, and the uh, the ECAM warnings come up in order of, uh, of severity. So a reverser unlocked is considered a pretty uh, serious situation. So that might well have leaped, leapt to the top of the list. Uh, yeah, I agree, I Al. I think it's semi, maybe even completely spurious. But uh, I don't know. I guess we'll probably never know unless they do some kind of an update on this. But usually these kind of incidents, you'll never hear a thing about them. It's not like the NTSB is going to do a report on this. So uh, anyway, just thought it was interesting. Yeah, definitely. And well um, put together, Jeff. And this is a really interesting one as well. Jeff Dangle. Um, wasn't that a character in uh, in uh, that uh, show, that uh, comedy called Reno 911 or something like that? Oh, was it one of the characters? Yeah, wasn't that one of the characters, Jeff Dangle? Similar name. Yeah, they had like a wore really tight shorts and uh, yes, (laughs) and a big mustache. And a guy said that uh, he 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 kept calling me Jeff Dangle. Uh, He said, "Yeah, you remind (laughs) me of Jeff Dangle." I went, uh, and I had to look it up. Thank you. That's not a compliment at all. Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Anyway, Jeff, I'm sure you're a great person. You don't look anything like that character in Reno, whatever it was called. Nine one one. Nine one nine. Okay. Um, anyway, he sent uh, in some audio um, from an event that occurred to another American A three twenty one. We're not picking on American. And all these planes were coming to Charlotte too. I'm certain. To yeah. Wait a minute. Now there might be some kind of a common denominator. Uh, yeah. Was this one was leaving Las Vegas on April twenty third uh, for uh, intending to head to Charlotte, and uh, let's see, got some. Um, Got some audio from this. It's kind of interesting, and I really like to hear what you, the crew, has to say about this. American 1871, Is directing us to go down to one engine to shut that engine down. 
Okay, no worries. I thought you meant you couldn't make the restriction. Uh, American 1871, you want to return for sure? Yeah, uh, you know, these new airplanes, they, they talk to everybody. Uh, you know, the engine seems to be running fine, but the, the checklist says shut it down because it overtapped on takeoff. Okay, no worries. American 1871 cleared to Las Vegas via radar vectors, fly heading 090, and pilot's discretion maintain 9,000. Okay, uh, 090, pilot's discretion of 9,000, American uh, 1871. American 1871, when you get the camps, you can just hold on board and uh, remain sealed. It's only 1-7 right American 1871, Roger, be going to maintain 8,000. That's enough of that. Um, we'll put a link to the uh, audio in the show notes for you to listen to the whole thing. That was about uh, two minutes of three and a half. But uh, <laughs> I'm thinking this is a case where this guy is uh, sharing a little bit more than he should over the radio frequency. A little oversharing, yes. <laughs> yeah, last night my um, I had a bad call with my wife. We were fighting and, uh, you know... Well, the engine, it tells us to shut it down. I don't know. I guess we're going to have to shut it down. Sounds fine to me. I'm not worried about that over temp on takeoff. I'm not worried it's going it was to like, damage anything. Or it's one of these new airplanes, you know? Just, was, yeah, these newfangled like, airplanes with all these. They talk to everyone. He was, <laughs> Someone's going to know if I don't do what it tells me to do. He was, he was kind of pissed off that he had to do this, you know? It's like, oh, I can't believe this. I was going to go to Charlotte. I had a date in Charlotte lined up uh, with Dr. Steph. And now Go I'm back not gonna... to <laughs> Oh, that's what happened to my date last week. That's what happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Um, so I guess what he meant when he was, yeah, as you kind of alluded to, uh, Dr. Steph, is that this thing talks to everybody <laughs> as, he's, as he's doing and not re- realizing that it's being recorded and we're going to talk about it on Aviation Podcast, uh, that, uh, yeah, everything is being recorded. The modern airplanes, modern engines are being sent. All the data is sent to uh, our headquarters. They know what's happening with the engine. And, uh, yeah, you have to comply with the procedures. If it tells you to shut the engine down, then I think you should shut the engine down and just keep your mouth shut. But, uh I don't know. What does uh, Captain Al think about all this? He flies uh, the, uh, the the 321-320 series. We'll see if he has anything to say here in the chat room while we're, we're gabbing about it. But uh, I just thought it was kind of an odd, and so did Jeff Dangle. That's why he sent it to us. He goes, what do you think of this? What, like, uh, What's going on here? I mean, uh, the fact is that oh, this uh, warning is inhibited uh, during takeoff. So after 80 knots, you don't actually get the warning come up until you've got airborne. Um, it may be that it was a uh, a momentary uh, over temperature during takeoff uh, and that it backs backed off a bit, which is why he didn't seem to be too worried about because he hadn't noticed it during takeoff. But there should be an indication on the uh EGT gauge, uh, the, the maximum temperature it's gone to. Because as soon as you get an over-temperature, uh, where the needle gets to... Uh, and if it kind of pegs it there so you know yeah, where, where it, it went. a little red marker there so you can see what it was. The ECAM actions for a simple EGT over-limit are you just reduce the thrust lever uh, until the EGT is within limits again. Um, and... Um, if you have to bring it all the way back to idle for more than five seconds, then uh, you just shut the engine down. So presumably it had been a reasonably serious uh, over-temperature for, that, the, for the ECAM to give him that. So Okay, so you move the throttles into takeoff detent, right? On the Airbus? You're, you're in uh, flex, usually, if you're, you're doing a flex takeoff, yeah. 
And so the throttles go and are being controlled by the FADIC on the Airbus, correct? Yeah. So how do you end up with an overchamp temp with that airplane? Well, uh, for some very good reasons, uh, because the engine itself is a physical piece of kit. It could be a fault with the, uh, the fuel control unit, pumping a bit too much fuel in there. Uh, so it could be a fault with the engine. Any of the uh, monitors or the pressures uh, might be at fault there, allowing the engine to over-temperature. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, engines do have faults. You, you know why I'm asking the question. It's not because I don't understand that. It's because maybe some of our listeners wouldn't understand that with such an I, I automated aircraft. You. I don't believe you, Dana. But I'm willing to educate you. It's not a problem. <laughs> I, fly the, I, fly the same en- I fly the same engine on the 90. Actually, in this case, it was a CFM 56. But uh, oh. the other story was the uh, same engine that we oh. have on our on our 90. But still, it's the same kind of thing. It's 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 yeah. an engine that is controlled by a FADEX system, and uh, the FADEX is supposed to take care of this, but it doesn't always. It's a it's a mechanical slash computerized. Computers things. can still yeah. have faults and errors and, right yeah. right that's I probably mean, why i was so pissed at by the, hearing yeah. that message or we used to it. get these quite regularly um out of uh, nairobi uh, on the a340 300 which has cfm 56s mm-hmm. uh and uh rolls royce came back to us and said uh, uh the thing you need to do with uh, in to prevent this is to ensure that you uh, warm the engines for at least 20 minutes prior to uh, departure. And they said, once you've done that, uh, you should be fine. And you should always flex a lot of some of the guys were using toga because they were just a bit worried because it's quite a, a high elevation and it's pretty hot there. So they were uh, getting, well, I'll, I'll take the safe option and uh, use toga for takeoff. Uh, when it wasn't really necessary, and that doesn't give you very much of a margin at all, then it's quite likely you're going to overtemp. And if you haven't warmed the engines, got everything nice and uh, thermally stable, then uh, things can uh, can just run away a little bit. So uh, yeah, it, it happens. Good point. Oh, and see, Ray Ray Davis says thank you uh, for the explanation, Nick. I'm glad I asked the question because some people out there just may not know that answer. I, I thought you'd have just dived just straight in. <laughs> Next time, just feel free to give it yourself, Dana. That's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, but you're so eloquent. You do, do such a nice job when it comes to technical data like that. Uh, yeah, you're full of bull. Okay, okay. We need to uh, knock it off. Uh, control room here. Knock it off. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, Captain Al came through for us in the uh, chat room. He says, it's easy. When you've got more than one engine, then do as it bloody well says. <laughs> Voice of reason. Thank yeah. you, Captain Al. Yes, thank you, Captain Al. So we're, you get the bell. Oop. There we go. Uh, I need to practice my bell ringing. Uh, let's see. So, again, thank you, Jeff, for sending that in. That was an interesting kind of radio exchange that we heard there. But uh, at least we, we got a chance to talk about FADEX systems and over temps and that kind of stuff. And chatty Cathy's. Yes. There you go. Um, gosh, we're, we're almost at the two-hour point. We're still on news. Um, I'll just quickly do this one here. Um, uh, and, and the reason why I included this in the news is because of the, uh, the, the, the result of this incident. And it was just a typical problem with an engine, uh, United Flight 737-800. And they were performing a flight from Liberia, Costa Rica to Houston Intercontinental in the U.S. And they were climbing out about 90 nautical miles north of Liberia 
The crew stopped the climb at flight level 200, reporting another CFM 56 problem. The airport entered a hold to burn off fuel, returned to Liberia for a safe landing about 100 minutes after departure. For those of you who uh, have trouble with math, that's about an hour and 40 minutes, I believe. And uh, so this is the thing. Thank that, you. I, I was the one having trouble with that. So. <laughs> Were you not? No. Uh, so now we have in this article from, let's see, where did we clip this from? What What uh, is the uh, news source? I don't have it written down, but anyway, a United Airlines plane had a terrifying emergency landing after one of its engines overheated over the ocean, according to a reporter who was on board the plane. Yes, a reporter was on the plane. Mm -hmm. United flight, uh, blah, blah, blah. One of my, here's the quote. This is what he tweeted. One of my plane's engines overheated over the ocean. We about crashed in an emergency landing before the pilot quickly pulled up. So scary. Says Jody Genesee, <laughs> one of the passengers. Yeah. <laughs> they stopped traffic into the Liberia Costa Rica airport. Fire trucks, ambulances, emergency vehicles waited for us to land. Freaky. We circled over the ocean for an hour to burn fuel before landing. I fly a lot. This was the most frightening thing I've ever experienced. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel bad for Jody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, Truly. he must live in a little box or something. <laughs> Very traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> Very. Uh, let's see. Should we, uh, well, Nick, do you want to talk about your short bit of flight simmer news? No, no that's fine. That, that can go on to something else. It's okay. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to also put off the uh, one about the U.S. may ban laptops on flights from U.K. airports until next time, just to see what kind of may come from that. Sure. Uh, because this is just kind of a, a rumor at this point. So I think that it would be best now, especially based on the fact that we're so far into the show, that we need to get to your feedback, folks. So hang on. Captain, incoming message. Okay, let's see. Let's uh, start with uh, Private Pilot Rich and. Dave, both listen to this podcast, Talking Flight. I don't think I've heard it yet, actually, myself. Talking Flight podcast with Mike Swanigan. And apparently he had a guest on that has written a book. And the book is entitled something. Steep Turn, Physician's Journey, Cockpit Ebook. That's probably not the formal title. I'm just getting no, that from you. <laughs> Steve this a physician's journey from clinic to cockpit. Oh, thank you. Uh, Key words there. But. Yeah. So, uh, Steph, uh, what do you think about this? Uh, they both, they're both saying, we thought of Dr. Steph when we heard this guy as a guest uh, on Mike Swanigan's uh, Talking Flight podcast, who uh, I guess this person has is a doctor who uh, decided, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to fly for the airlines, which I think is what Dr. Steph's going to do eventually. <laughs> yes, one day when, you know, I pay off my debt and <laughs> have enough hours to get an ATP and all that. Yeah, exactly. Just a, just a few short at the moment. It'll, yeah. Um, no, I think this is really cool. And actually, I was unaware of this and unaware of the Talking Flight um, podcast. I had not been listening to that. So um, I really appreciate uh, Private Pilot Rich and Dave for sending this in. Um, 
I'm definitely going to listen to this and you know what? I can actually my I can download it to my iPad on my Kindle app and read it for just a few dollars. So that should be really interesting. Um, just reading the uh, the teaser for the book here on Amazon Prime's website it says fascinating memoir that offers a glimpse into the extraordinary life of a young physician. Um, blah blah blah. Watch as he you know, saves a life by applying a theory he learned in med school and performing procedure he'd studied in a book. See one, do one, teach one, blah, blah, blah. And then I guess he, well, this goes on for a while. Um, he left medical training and did a brief stint practicing rural medicine in a small town in Washington. And he was also a naval flight surgeon during the Vietnam War years, and then finally um, decided that he was questioning his choice of a career in medicine and struggled with this, the decision to leave it all behind to pursue his lifelong dream, which was presumably to fly for his career instead of being a physician. So, um, sorry, I kind of fumbled through that because it was not as clearly written as I thought it was going to be. But um, you kind of get the gist. Um, the the yeah. title kind of sums it up there. And um, hopefully the the book is written a little bit more eloquently than that uh, teaser for it. But I'll download it and give it a read. So. Excellent. And we'll put a link to the uh, Talking Flight podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can uh, listen to the interview with uh, this doctor. That's kind of cool. So it's kind of cool that uh, both private pilot Rich and Dave heard the show and thought, ah, let's, uh, let's send this feedback to APG and, uh, Dr. Steph. Yeah. Thank you guys. I will, um, I'm going to listen to, to that episode, as I said, and also take a look at the book. Uh, speaking of, um, shows that we've done in the past and, and Dr. Steph, she was holding up her, um, her baseball. Wait, I still have it here. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> Can I still wear this on the show? Yeah. So if you're watching the video, you see that uh, Dr. Steph is wearing a, uh, a baseball cap with um, yes. the University of Southern California, uh, Southern California, no, 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 no. University of South Carolina, South Carolina, uh, <laughs> and uh, their official mascot is Gamecocks, but they uh, have abbreviated that. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, that's a lot to fit onto the front of a baseball cap, so I can see why they went with the shortened version of the word. I'm sure that's why. That's all um, they were thinking of. Yes. So DC John writes, uh, I'm intentionally not putting my full name inside the body of the email, uh, but the crew's riffing on the name of the University of South Carolina mascot during APG 267 reminded me of a story told to me by a USC alumna. During the early 80s, someone thought it would be a good idea to have the two universities with the same three-letter abbreviations play each other in football. So the University of Southern California, USC, Trojans, that's their mascot, played the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, <laughs> USC Gamecocks, on October 1st, 1983, at Columbia's so Williams-Brice Stadium. The Carolinians posted a banner in the upper deck that read, quote, okay, now, the, the, uh, the mascot for the uh, USC Gamecocks is abbreviated or shortened to Cox. So... Here's the uh, banner. No Trojan can cover our mascot. I would have bet on the uh, Californians, but turns out that that day the sign was right. The Gamecocks won. 38 to 14 it is a family show. That's why I did it that way. 
<laughs> I had to be very yes, careful. That's why I was. That's why I was laughing. So. <laughs> I, know. I, I know. knew where that was going. Oh, yes. And he said, what little proof I have of my friend's recollection. And then he has several <laughs> URLs listed that uh, kind of uh, chronicle this uh, event. And uh, so if you're interested in learning more about that, we'll put those in the show notes as well. He says, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and of course, tailwinds. Again, DC John, probably not his real name. And uh, I don't blame him for wanting to be anonymous with that one. Um. <laughs> Alex in the, uh, I think in Australia, yeah, says, uh, Alex Stroud here, um, just wondering if I could get some advice from you guys. I've just turned 20 and I want to become an airline pilot. I have since I was about 13, but I come from a poor family. Is there any method of becoming a pilot here in Australia without the large costs? Thank you and have a great flight. I'm thinking my first... Reaction to that was enroll in the uh, military and well, that's uh, right. get exactly your training there. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, go to school. Training for nothing. Yeah, work hard in school. Um, well, you just I turned twenty. Late. You turned yeah, 20. never mind. <laughs> so, if you've done well in school uh, or not, you know, uh, see if the Australian was it the Australian Royal Air Force is that what they call that uh, Captain Nick Royal, Royal Australian, Australian Air Force. Royal Australian Air Force that's oh, right AAF uh, see if they might have some spots uh, some openings I don't know I mean perhaps uh, some of you in Australia might have some you know specific ideas about uh, this for Alex well uh, my niece is out there and uh, she's trying to do it the hard way by being a flight instructor so she uh, did all her flying training she did a uh, um, you know did all the uh, ground studies for getting a commercial license and she's a flight instructor and uh, now she works for a charter outfit she's slowly working her way up but it's a long hard journey uh, building up the hours you need um, and uh, that's a difficult way. You're not that far from uh, the Far East where um, airlines like Singapore and uh, Cathay will uh, possibly take you on uh, for a cadetship. You might want to consider that, uh, and they will pay for all of your training. But you'll be tied to that airline and receive quite a low wage for the first few years. That may not be a problem for you, though. Um, but I think Jeff's suggestion, uh, first thing to do is try the military and see if they'll uh, see if you're qualified and see if they'll take you. That's certainly the easiest way. And when you've served enough years with them, then you can, like I did, uh, leave and uh, become a civil airline pilot. Uh, and there you go. Bob's your uncle. You've had the best of both worlds. And a uh, tip from the chat room. Um plugging another one of those great aviation podcasts a little bit, but Brian Parrott says, uh, check out the Aviation Careers podcast. They actually have links, I, I guess, to um, different scholarships. So maybe there would be some yep. in your area, Alex, that would uh, be helpful for you in trying to get some additional funding for flight training. I believe that most of those are U.S.-centric. US. But I, I would think that they are, but yeah. you never know. And there might be contacts there to, right. you know, networking is a big thing. Even around the world, it's, it's still a small community, so... Playing Crazy Down Under, another great podcast, uh, or is is down there. Listen to that show and perhaps reach out to them because they have connections in Australia. Uh, perhaps they can kind of steer you in the right direction. But it's possible. Don't give up. Just because you come from a family that doesn't have a lot of money, um, you know, there are ways to do this. If you have a will to do it, uh, there's a way to do it. Absolutely. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, I, can, I, I can't speak for down there, but I can assure you that uh, I came from without any money whatsoever and uh, grew up with uh, barely a roof over my head, worked four jobs, go through school, put myself through flying, you know, just through uh, general aviation, just like you're talking about. And fortunately, I made it. So, you know, if there's a will, there is definitely a way. Just need to do a little research on it. There's a, There's your example right there, Dana. You know, and he's uh, one of the finest pilots we have at Acme, <laughs> which is a made-up fictional airline. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I'm, I'm a fictional pilot, and I'm chief pilot of this fictional airline. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Can I be the chief trampa? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, you, you know, um, I think was it the last show, Doctor Steph, that you were complaining about uh, your behavior or talking to us? So you're a little uh, shamed at your behavior at the oh, rental yeah. car counter. Well, you know what? Miami oh, yeah. Tech. I had a lot. Of, I mean, you could just play the uh, the uh, bad okay. boys theme for me in general for the last show. But, yeah, I was complaining about my bad behavior that happened before the show um, at a rental car counter. So, yeah. Well, so apparently uh, we we ended up getting some audio of this encounter. Yeah. Let me let me play this here. There really are cameras everywhere. Yeah, there are. It's it's a big brother. This is Miami Hick. Last week, Dr. Steph said. She was just a little bit rude to the person at the rental car counter. And, uh, well, lucky for y'all, I got a friend that works over there at Marathon. They pulled the audio of uh, just when Dr. Steph come through and rent her car. And I think she was a little bit more rude than she let on during the show. So here's the audio from that exchange. Enjoy. Miami Hick, over and out. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. You can start by wiping that smile off your rosy cheeks. Then you can give me an automobile, a Datsun, a Toyota, a Mustang, a Buick, four wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of nowhere with keys to a car that isn't there. And I really didn't care to fork down a byway and across a runway. To get back here to have you smile at my face. I want a car right now. May I see your rental agreement? I threw it away. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? You're Oh my, <laughs> Steph! That was pretty rude of me. I'm so sorry. I owe apologies to to the fine folks. That... And you know what? I had to take out the f bomb. Uh, it must have been in there probably ten times. <laughs> I had to I had to edit all that out. Edit I'm that sorry. Out. That's why it it didn't sound very clear. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually, of course, that was from the movie Planes, Planes Trains, Trains, and, and automobiles. automobiles with Steve well, Martin. I can't believe it because that was Steph. I mean, <laughs> if I closed my eyes and that was Steph. I, I, I altered the voice, Steve Martin's voice, a little bit to make it sound more like Dr. Steph. I think I got pretty close, actually. I think you got damn close. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, thank you, Miami Hick, for that uh, little bit of entertainment. Of course, that was I owe a lot of people apologies. <laughs> of course, that's not Doctor Steph. She would never say anything like that in public. No, at least, never slur her words. <laughs> no. Never, never. Uh, let's see. Or drop an f bomb. No, that's not me. No, I've never no. ever. Well, let's move on. Um, John 
says, your last episode, someone asked about the process of getting a type rating. I'm a corporate pilot operating a Falcon 2000 Classic Part 91 and 135. My type rating was 21 days. We spent about half of it learning systems and on the FMS, ground school, and the other half doing sim sessions. At the end of it is the check ride. It's typically two and a half hours of oral, and I think he's talking about oral examination, and uh, three, uh, three to four hours in the sim. We also do recurrent every six months, which is two days ground, two days sim, and then a full check ride on the fifth day. Fly safe. So thank you, John, for letting us know how your type rating went and how long it took and what it involved. Always good to hear from our corporate pilots out there. That's quite a, uh, a testing uh, period every six months, two yeah. days in the ground, two days in the sim. Uh, and then a, a check ride on the fifth day. That's, that's quite hard work. It is. So, yeah, but you know, makes you realize how, how professional and well-prepared these uh, corporate pilots are out there. So that's, uh, that's good to know. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we heard Amar uh, with uh, Dave Abbey uh, talking about his time. I think he was there for like a week uh, for mm-hmm. his uh, uh, annual. Uh, I don't know if it's an annual or six months for him. Uh, did, did, did they mention that in the in the uh, feedback? I don't recall. But um, anyway, it's uh, pretty intense. Speaking of simulator time, uh, Kevin St. John uh, writes, I'm uh, two episodes behind. That's it. <laughs> but I'd like to add to the discussion about time spent in training by various occupations discussed in episode 265, which I was listening to while driving back from Easter dinner at my sister's home with the car cruising on I-495 in autopilot mode. He drives the uh, Tesla. Uh, I suspect the group that spends the most time in training and simulators are nuclear plant operating crews, nuclear plant operating crews. Each crew spends one week out of every six in classroom training and running scenarios in complete replicas of the actual control room. As with pilots, part of that time is spent running simulated scenarios where immediate initial steps must be recalled from memory without reference to emergency operating procedures binders. Uh, the training is conducted by the plant training staff under a USNRC approved training program. As always, best wishes for safe flights and thanks for all the APG crew does. Respectfully, Kevin St. John. One week out of every six. Wow. wow. Can you yeah. imagine? Wow. That's I mean, and then, crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of memory items there, I suspect. That's, that's a lot of memory items. And I'm, I'm thinking there's a lot of high stakes jobs out there. I mean, certainly this has to count up there as, as one of them, but that's still a lot yes. of training. Yes, it is. And it's, you know, it's on. I'm glad to hear it because I don't want anything to go wrong at those nuclear power plants. No, no. And I live very close to one and not too far from a second one. So that makes me, yeah, it's kind of reassuring to you. You know, we have the Three Mile Island incident here in the U.S. many, many years ago uh, near Harrisburg. And then, of course, the Chernobyl is the big one uh, in the uh, former Soviet Union. Um, hey, Steph, t- turn out the lights and see if we can still see you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are very funny. <laughs> she does have a nice glow. I just thought it was, I just thought it was her, not. It's just her glowing. It's her glowing personality. <laughs> Actually, hold on, watch this. You'll laugh at this. Oh, she does. Oh, glow. yeah, they get blue. Wow. I always thought it would be green, but it's blue. It's blue. 
So uh, if you're going to Wings Over Pittsburgh, just be careful. Don't get too close to Dr. Steph. A little, just just mildly radioactive. It's it's fine. (laughs) I'm told it's mostly harmless. It's kind of like having a nice little buzz. Yeah, but... Jordan writes in, hello again, APG crew. I just wanted to share some of my, uh, some feedback and hopefully encourage my APGers on the fence about starting flight training. I have two hours in my logbook and I'm 35 years old. Like so many things in life, the worst regrets are the things you didn't do, not the things you did. Stop making excuses and get a discovery flight. Flight training isn't cheap, but if you have a passion for aviation, you'll make it work and won't have any regrets. I also wanted to personally thank Captain Jeff for creating a program and community that pushed me over the edge. Without that push, I would still be a flight sim dreamer instead of a student pilot. Without that push, I'd still be a living. Yes. I kind of pushed him a little too hard. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Another bit of advice. If you see me at Wings Over Pittsburgh, don't get any anywhere near any any ledges or anything like that. (laughs) Give you too much of a push. Finally. I wanted to thank Captain Nick for his plane tales. I can only imagine the time and energy that goes into the into the production of these fantastic stories. You don't have to put as much into them as you do, and that passionate effort isn't lost on us listeners. Thanks so much for giving us such a phenomenal gift every week. And I'd say I, I agree. What a here, lovely here. thing to say. What a nice mm-hmm. chat. Yes. I'm, I'm going to send you a Christmas card. <laughs> well, but it's, it's accurate. That's the most important thing. It's yeah. accurate. You do a fantastic uh, job. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, you know what? Since he just mentioned plane tales, this is a great uh, little great segue. Uh, yeah, segue into this week's installment. The old pilot's plane tales. Key must go. When I look back at accidents that have molded our modern attitude to commercial flying, one of the incidents that springs to mind is the crash of British European Airways Flight 548. A Hawker Siddeley Trident, the incident is often referred to by its location as the Staines Air Disaster. Following the total loss of the aircraft and all on board, it remains the United Kingdom's deadliest air accident. The disaster revealed a fatal combination of antagonistic pilots, troublesome aircraft design, union disputes and medical issues. This was certainly a landmark accident. The date was the 18th of June 1972 and a key element of the story was Captain Stanley Key. At 51, Key was an experienced aviator with over 14,000 hours, 4,000 on type. A decorated wartime pilot, he was both extremely accomplished, experienced and a route check captain. He was known to be authoritative and a stickler for the rules. With him that day were two young graduates of the Hamble Flying School. Sitting in the co-pilot seat was 22-year-old Second Officer Keithley, who only had a few hundred hours. Keithley's training record was far from perfect, as his Hamble report showed that he was slow to learn and underconfident. Comments such as, he will need careful watching, and he was slow to react and lacked initiative, peppered his assessment. 
Behind them in the jump seat, with duties that included monitoring the two pilots flying the aircraft, was Second Officer Ticehurst. Of the two second officers, Ticehurst was the more experienced, a 24-year-old with 1,400 hours, 750 hours on type. Travelling with the crew that day and sitting behind the captain was John Collins, a deadheading captain who now flew freighters, but who had been an experienced Trident First Officer. There was a stark difference between the older wartime generation of pilots and the younger pilots who grew up after the conflict in the post-war boom. The captains were often thought of as arrogant, dictatorial and with a superior attitude, whereas the Hamble cadet pilots were considered green, limited in ability and probably looked down on for growing up in the easygoing 60s and 70s. The feeling of some pilots was obvious because in the aftermath of the accident it was found that the third pilot's table on the crashed aircraft had graffiti scribbled on it by discontented junior pilots. Key must go. Yes, but where? Down the drain. BOAC anywhere will do. Send Owens with him. When Stanley Key dies, who will be God's next representative in BEA? The Trident was an early jetliner and the first T-tailed rear three-engine aircraft to be built. It was operated mainly by UK airlines since shortly after its development, Boeing launched a very similar 727, which had greater appeal to the US market. A sophisticated aircraft for its time, the Trident was the first airliner to use an Autoland system in service. However, not all of its development went smoothly. It was discovered that aircraft with a T-tail could enter a stalled condition known as a super-stall. This occurred when the airflow from the wing of a stalled aircraft blanked the tail section, preventing recovery. In a super-stall, the elevators, which would normally be used to pitch the aircraft nose down and unstall the wing, were rendered useless. The danger had come to light during a flight when test pilots pitched the aircraft beyond the critical angle of attack and began fluttering downwards like a stone, with the pilots unable to lower the nose to recover. Luckily, a wing dropped, and as the pilots worked the rudder, they managed to roll the aircraft the other way. In this falling leaf manoeuvre, eventually the nose came down and they were able to recover to normal flight. As a result, stall warning stick shakers and stall recovery stick pushers were fitted to prevent inadvertent stalls. However, the stick push system was considered by some pilots to overreact, and of 10 activations between the aircraft entering service and the crash, three were spurious. Despite there having been a 70% correct operation of this device, and none after 1966 when it was improved, many pilots remain unconvinced. The problem may have been exacerbated by a lack of understanding. False stick shaker warnings were reasonably common, but they only needed a single sensor to register an approaching stall, whilst the stick pusher needed two sensors to activate at the same time. If required, the stick pusher system could be dumped, 
by moving an override lever on the captain's side of the centre console. Another relevant design feature was that the leading edge flaps, called droops on the trident, were controlled by a lever on the centre console, often to the right of the throttles. Immediately to the right of the droop lever was the flap lever, which moved in exactly the same sense, although the knob on top was uh, different in design. With the droops retracted, the aircraft had a stalling speed of well over 200 knots, so it was recognised early on that there should be some system to prevent accidental early retraction. As a consequence, a bulk was fitted that prevented the droops from being retracted with the flaps at 7 degrees or greater. During a normal acceleration, this left a very short period when the droop lever was vulnerable to early retraction. However, the manufacturer hadn't anticipated the advent of noise abatement procedures, where the engines are throttled back and the acceleration slowed during the latter part of the cleanup to prevent noise. Due to the longer acceleration, this increased the danger period by some 100 seconds to nearly two minutes. The existing conflict between the older and younger pilots in BEA had been exacerbated by industrial dispute. A demand for better paying conditions was generally being supported by the junior pilots and opposed by the senior ones. Indeed, some first officers were already on strike. Shortly before his flight, Captain Key had a violent shouting match with a first officer, described by one bystander as the most violent argument he had ever heard. In addition to this, because of a threatened worldwide disruption planned by the International Federation of Airline Pilots the following day as a protest against aircraft hijacking, Captain Key's aircraft was full, despite Sunday usually being a quiet day. Key was obviously upset by the altercation, and although he apologised afterwards, he was probably still agitated as he walked out to his aircraft, his blood pressure at a high level. Unbeknown to anyone, Key was already suffering from a dangerous heart complaint, which might well have been exacerbated by the upset of his outburst. It was discovered in post-mortem that he had severe arteriosclerosis, a narrowing of the arteries, and in addition it was found that he had a tear in his left coronary artery. Bleeding from this tear had started not more than two hours before Key's death. Medical opinion differed, but it was quite possible that the stress of the argument caused the damage, and following it he might well have suffered pain, discomfort and a heart arrhythmia, leading to collapse and unconsciousness. It was just after 4pm when Captain Key taxied his trident out of its parking position at London's Heathrow Airport to runway 27 right. The wind was gusty, but the weather was mild, with slight rainfall from a thousand-foot ceiling. The aircraft took off normally and began a southerly turn, part of the Dover 1 departure, just before entering the overcast layer. After contacting London Centre, Flight 548 was cleared to 6,000 feet, which was acknowledged by Key. This was their final transmission. 
Less than a minute later, the trident re-emerged from the cloud in a nose-high attitude and fell into a field just south of the A30, a major London road. Though there was little post-crash fire, all 112 passengers and six crew were killed. At that time, there were no voice recorders fitted to UK commercial aircraft, but the Trident did have an accident data recorder. The aircraft left the ground at 145 knots and quickly reached the V2 speed of 152 knots. The undercarriage was retracted, and at 355 feet and 170 knots, the autopilot was engaged with the airspeed lock, even though the correct climb speed was a little faster at 177 knots. Passing around 700 feet, they began the left turn towards the Epsom NDB, and 90 seconds after takeoff, key reduced power as part of the noise abatement procedure. Then the flaps were retracted. During the left turn, the airspeed reduced to 157 knots, some 20 knots below the target speed. 114 seconds after departure, and at a speed of only 162 knots, the droops were selected up. They were 63 knots below the safe retraction speed. One second later, the visual and audible stall warnings activated, followed almost immediately by the stick shaker and then the stick pusher, heaving the control yoke fully forwards and disconnecting the autopilot. The cacophony of noise with the stall warning and autopilot horn blaring must have been obvious, but Key held the nose up. A second round of stick shaker warnings and stick pusher activation followed, but still no recovery action was taken. Finally, for a third time, the aircraft systems tried to save the crew, but the only response from Key was to deactivate the very system that was trying to unstall the aircraft. As a result of the stick pusher activation, the aircraft had descended a few hundred feet and accelerated to 193 knots, but it was still below the droop-up stall speed. However, Key raised the nose once more to reduce the speed to the normal climb speed of 177 knots. By now, the nose was over 30 degrees up, and the trident had entered a deep stall. It was too late. Recovery was impossible. With the aircraft descending at over 4,500 feet a minute, it only took 20 seconds for the troubled flight to end in the most tragic of circumstances. Air traffic controllers noticed the disappearance of the aircraft from their displays, but the emergency services weren't made aware for 15 minutes. It was a motorist who, seeing the crash, stopped at a house to ring the airport. The first on the scene was a nurse who lived nearby, and she made heroic efforts amidst the wreckage to help any of the victims who were still alive. The inquiry commented that her actions could not be praised too highly, however they said the decelerated forces of the impact were too great for the human frame to survive. One male passenger did survive the impact, but died shortly afterwards in hospital, a young girl also survived, but she died at the crash site. 
As news of the crash was broadcast, the nearby main road became choked with sightseers, and there were distressing stories of trophy hunters raking through the impact area before the authorities could gain control. The area had been soaked with aviation fuel, and fire that had been absent in the crash itself was soon started when cutting equipment was brought to bear on the fuselage. Finally, there were over 30 ambulances and fire appliances in attendance, but by then there was little that could be done. The following day, the Right Honourable Michael Hesseltine, the Minister for Aerospace, announced that there would be an ad hoc tribunal, popularly called a Public Inquiry, to investigate and report on the accident. This was completely contrary to the usual convening of an accident investigation board, and two of the pilots' unions protested at the conduct of the quarry, which was likened to a lawyer's picnic, where the parties involved tried desperately to avoid blame or attempted to secure positions for future litigation. Indeed, the conduct of the inquiry was blamed for the death of a senior AIB inspector who committed suicide. The inquiry tried to establish who moved the droop lever, setting into motion the entire tragedy. Neither Captain Key nor Keithley, his co-pilot, had cause to retract the droops, and had they done so, then Ticehurst, whose job it was to monitor such actions, would surely have spotted the error. Might Keithley have misinterpreted an order from his captain to change the autopilot height to 6,000 feet, as an instruction to put up the droops? Did Key, distracted by his medical condition, raise the droops by accident, thinking perhaps his inexperienced co-pilot had mishandled the flaps? What was obvious was that the droop lever was moved either by Key in the pain and distress of his heart condition or by his inexperienced second officer. The final report, issued nearly a year later, listed the main causes as a failure to maintain the correct airspeed, a premature retraction of the leading-edge devices, a failure to monitor the aircraft configuration, a failure to recognise the reason for the stall warnings, and an error in disabling those systems. The underlying causes were that Captain Key was suffering from a heart condition, that having Captain Collins on the flight deck may have been a distraction to Ticehurst, the monitoring second officer, the low experience level of second officer Keithley, and a lack of a bulk mechanism to prevent droop retraction at too low an airspeed. Apart from the obvious modifications that the Trident needed to prevent movement of the droop lever below the safe speed, this tragedy also set in motion the requirement for cockpit voice recorders to be fitted to UK-registered airliners. Also, the handling of subtle pilot incapacitation became a training requirement. What the inquiry seemed unable to do was to fully analyse the impact that the lack of crew resource management had on the performance of those on the flight deck since the concept had yet to be studied nor implemented by the industry. In subsequent years, however, this accident would be studied and analysed by generations of airline pilots, who all strive to learn the lessons. 
another fabulous installment of Plain Tales. And wow, what a story. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, that one's sort of etched in our memory in the UK, it being the most serious accident. There, there was one uh, crash that uh, had a larger life loss, but that was the terrorist uh, uh induced accident of the Pan Am 747 over Lockerbie. Mm -hmm. But uh, when it comes to aircraft and accidents, this was our worst. And it's, uh, to one extent, quite pleasing that it's way back in 1972. But um, there were so many things to be learned from that. And I think the uh, the lack of, and well, the, the animosity between the pilots and the lack of give and take and the um, the old and the new uh, attitudes towards uh, them. Uh, that was There were just so many uh, things there on the flight deck that made it hard for people to communicate properly, which I hope we have all now put behind us. Absolutely. Yep, 100%. And just, you know, from the medical standpoint, I, that's an interesting incident or accident um, because – you know, the way that the report about the captain was interpreted with his um, cardiac issues and his atherosclerosis was that it, it was likely that he had a heart attack and they felt that it was relatively recent, um, at least according to what I remember and what I've read about it. So sometime within the two hours leading up to the incident, he had actually suffered some additional injury or damage to his his heart. So you have to really wonder what additional stress he was under in addition to the stress and strain between the crew members already. Um, you know, yeah. that's, that's all. I, I think at the time there was a, it was an appallingly toxic attitude between uh, many of the pilots and it can't have been a very pleasant thing coming to work, uh, no. which would have uh, just made the situation on the flight deck even harder to uh, cope with. Yes, you're quite right, Steph. Uh, he had uh, narrowing the arteries and then he had a tear, uh, which happened in his coronary artery, which, um, yep. Uh, would have occurred within two hours and could, because of the blood that had, uh, coagulated in his chest all around right. his heart, they uh, they worked out that it was uh, it probably in, in during his flight preparation uh, sometime between that and the, his death where that mm -hmm. had happened. So, uh, yeah, so he was not in good shape. But it just goes to show that uh, either the, the, the second officer, his co-pilot, was so terrified of him that uh, he didn't stop him from doing the wrong Making thing. Making that mistake, right? Yep. Or he himself was uh, incapable of realizing that the second officer had just done something, uh, you know, completely wrong. ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Well, <clears throat> that, that some of that still even today in, in, in a lot of the international uh, carriers, especially over in the Far East, I think there's a lot, lot to be moved on with that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of work still to be done yeah. in, in some uh, countries because of the sort of autocratic and natural autocracy that can exists between senior men and junior men, doesn't matter what what, what job they're in. Uh, but it, in a cockpit, that can be a very dangerous thing. Absolutely. It's a terrible thing. Now, with your um, background of uh, accident investigation, Jeff, you got any thoughts on that one? Well, you know, CRM was a big part of it, as we just talked about there, and we've come a long way with uh, that in uh, recent years. It's, it was interesting to see that this was one of the events that precipitated the uh, installment of the cockpit voice recorders, and that 
sort of thing makes it much easier to uh, investigate tragedies like this. The thing that got my attention, though, is the fact that I've flown for most of my career uh, high tail or what T-tail airplanes with uh, engines in the back, although the 141 had uh, wing matted engines, but it was also a T-tail. So most of the uh, most of the time that I have in my logbook are uh, uh, T-tail airplanes. And when you talk about the, uh, what did you call it? Super stall for the Trident? We call it a deep stall. Uh, yeah, on it, the, it goes uh, under both names. Yes, yeah, right. that's just like, uh, you know, the, the, the last thing you want to happen because once once you've hit that point, um, it's you're just along for the ride. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. It's and it, it doesn't surprise me that, uh, you know, the latest generation of airliners, there's, there's no T-tails amongst them, really. That is a good point. Uh, although there are the regionals are still, you know, quite a few out there with the with the t tails. But I think that uh, as time goes on, we're going to see less and less of that type of design. I would imagine. Yeah, because I mean, what's the point of having a a design like that? I don't see the point of it when uh, you know you you end up in a situation where you could have an unrecoverable stall. It just uh, you know just terrifies me. Yeah. Interesting, interesting fact on the T-tails that, believe it or not, that is the only airline I've ever flown. T-tails? T-tail yeah. airline. I've never flown a conventional yeah. airliner with a conventional oh. tail. The only one I've flown is the uh, L-1011, that, and that was not quite completely conventional. That was a, uh, the, the stabili- uh, stabilator. It wasn't a stabilizer-elevator uh, combo. It was a, a moving, <clears throat> the whole surface moved as one. I think they called it a stable later, but uh, Mm. yeah, interesting. Well, thank you again, Captain Nick, for that, all your hard work with the uh, plane tails. And I know that uh, I can speak for everyone that uh, we really appreciate the the work that you put into them. And I'm sure this guy does too. Greetings, fellow Av geeks. This is Hillel. Thought you'd like to know that our little Cherokee was selected by the Stephen F. Udvarhazy Center for being displayed at Innovations in Flight Day, Saturday, June 17th, the day before Father's Day. This is a great Father's Day gift for any Av geek, and I'm looking forward to flying in again. It's a whole lot of fun to meet everyone at one of our original impromptu Av geek meetups. Hope to see you then. Bring the family. Great for kids. Thank you, Hillel. And uh, not only is he flying his Cherokee into... Um, in, into the Udvar Hazi uh, Smithsonian Air and Space Museum at uh, Dulles, but he's also flying it to Pittsburgh International for Wings Over Pittsburgh. So, oh wow, yeah, wow, nice, very cool. Look forward to seeing you, Hillel. And who knows, maybe we'll make another trip to uh, Udvar Hazi this year. Um, not sure. We really haven't talked about it yet, but uh, mm-hmm. you never know. Uh, Nick. Knack Jack uh, kind of reached out to us to uh, make contact with the uh, gentleman who was talking about starting a flight simming podcast. So let's play Nick Knack Jack's feedback. Hey, airline pilot guide crew. It's uh, Nick Knack Jack. Sorry, I haven't checked in in a while. Uh, been busy. I temporarily got over APG syndrome um, and I was feeling good and I had all the meds I needed and life was going swell and then I relapsed so I'm back again. Uh, unfortunately, maybe Dr. Steph can help but I hear it's incurable. Uh, but apparently it's relapsing and remitting so we know that much. Uh, go tell the guys in the lab. 
at any rate, um, I'm here in my triple seven, uh, over San Juan, Puerto Rico, at the moment, in between, uh, Rio de Janeiro and New York City. Uh, been in the air quite a long time, five hours and something, um, I'm so tired, my eyes can't read the gauge right, so that, that tells you something. Uh, anyway, I wanted to reach out to that fellow a uh, couple episodes back that uh, said he was starting a flight sim podcast or was thinking about it, the uh, retired Air New Zealand captain, I believe it was. Um, wanted to uh, reach out to him and uh, tell him to get in touch. I'll leave my contact details with Jeff, uh, see if he wants to work with me. Um, I've been uh, tooling around with uh, another show, FS Ride Along, and it's even got its own uh, lips and information. I'll pass that along to Jeff so he can plug it if he feels like it. Um, but of course, I wanted to uh, thank the APG crew for all the great work they do. Um, tease uh, Nick, who uh, I am beating around the globe. I beat, uh, I know he doesn't fly for Virgin Atlantic, but I beat a Virgin Atlantic uh, A340 across the Atlantic the other day from, uh, what was that, London to JFK, and uh, I was very impressed with myself. I, of course, was in a 747, and they were in an A340, so 747 is better. Anyway, um, keep up the great show, and uh, I, like I said, I'll leave my contact details with Jeff. Um, and uh, in the meantime, it looks like the first officer is possibly done checking the inner insides of his eyelids. So I better get back to the flight deck here. Take care. Thank you, Nicholas, for your feedback. And uh, if uh, uh, the the gentleman um, who was talking, the ex New Zealand Air New Zealand captain, uh, if you're listening. Uh, contact uh, Nick Knack Jack or contact us and we'll give you uh, Nicholas's contact information and you can uh, see what uh, he has in mind. Maybe uh, the two of you can uh, can get together and uh, do a, a new flight sim- flight simming podcast. But uh, anyway, so always good to hear from you, Nick Knack Jack. And no, it's not. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> Yes, it is. He was very rude. <laughs> uh, to you, maybe? he was just—he just wanted to, you know, let us know of of his but accomplishments he can fly with his flight his sim seven forty seven, where he doesn't have to pay for the petrol faster, <laughs> faster than a, we can fly an Airbus. Yeah. Well, presumably the flight sim Airbus also doesn't have to pay for the fuel. Yeah. Well, and, he, and he probably doesn't mind if he bangs it off the barber's pole all the time. <laughs> what's what's interesting and now i know this doesn't apply to you captain nick because you're, you're paid on a salary basis or salaried basis but yeah. for uh for for dana and i and dana you uh, you might uh, be able to relate to this i've always um been perplexed when you know we've we've we're in an airplane and they slow us down or they're vectorous or make us hold or whatever and then there's a lot of grumbling in the cockpit and everything else. And I'm going, wait a minute. Hello. Don't we get paid by the minute? Isn't it a good thing if we take longer to get there and maybe fly more slowly? Yeah. Don't we get paid more? <laughs> yeah, we do. However, except when the trips have a lot of credit in them. Well, that's true. Yeah. We don't want to get into all the intricacies of the 
the the system, the way we get paid and everything else. But that is a good point. If you're if you're flying an, a a trip that has a lot of what uh, Dana just mentioned as credit, uh, where you know you're you're guaranteed to be paid a certain amount. So let's say you have three or four flights that uh, are very short flights uh, that may not make up a great deal of time. You still want to be. Uh, we have a contract set up so that we get paid a minimum of a certain. Uh, for us, it's five hours and fifteen minutes per day that they or duty period that they use us. So. Uh, let's say you fly only, you know, two flights and the a total of an hour and a half. Well, then we're going to get some credit to uh, make up for that. Uh, it's a kind of a complicated formula. It also depends on what you're going to do in the subsequent days and, and all that. But, uh, that's true. But, um, anywho speed. Yeah, it's a, it's an important thing, but not such a big deal for me. Uh, let's see. This is from the flying Kiwi. He had, uh, he sent us some audio feedback. Hey, APG crew. This is uh, The Flying Kiwi. Um, I want to pass on some thanks um, for your podcast this week. Um, first of all, uh, I thank you for having this podcast out there because it's really helped me in the last week or two. Um, I had a friend of mine die rather suddenly uh, last week and had to do horrible things like read the eulogy and all that sort of business and, and also carry on with stuff at work. And so it's been a really great thing to have this podcast to keep me occupied and, and listen to you guys and, and listen to your fart jokes and all that sort of business. and. And to keep me amused and, and entertained, you know, because it's not just the entertainment, it's also the, the knowledge that you guys pass on. So I, th I thank you very much. Um, and the second bit of thanks I want to pass on to Nick and, and Nick's dad. Um, Plain Tales has always been a great favourite segment of mine and uh, lately it's reached absolutely new levels. It's fantastic to hear um, what Andy Anderson has to say about his time in the Sunderlands and and the, the futility of, of looking down and, and seeing you know all of this carnage going on and, and there's very little you can do about it. Um, it's so important to get the voices of veterans down um, because without these people, you know, you're stuck with a horrible, you know, repro history channel, you know, reenactment of what actually went on. And they're usually rubbish because they're made by editors who don't know the difference between a Spitfire and an ME109. And, you know, they just, you know, give you stock footage and give you a crappy answer about what happened. So it's really important to go out and, and talk to these veterans, you know, whether they want to talk about it or not, but, you know, to get this sort of stuff down before it's too late and we lose these voices. Um, so it's so important and it's really great to hear Andy Anderson um, and his experiences. And he does it so eloquently as well, which is great. So thank you, Nick, and, and thank you. thanks to your dad. Um, last but not least, uh, there was a guy who emailed in, I think, about type ratings. Um, and you guys did a great a great job of uh, answering his uh, his questions about how what type ratings involved. And uh, I have many type ratings because I live in New Zealand and it's stupid um, because all planes are completely different and you have to go to school and learn them all over again. Oh, don't get me started. But I could sum up my type rating experience in uh, in a single sentence. Um, it is the ability for me to demonstrate yet again to my CFI that I can't bloody fly this plane either. <laughs> uh, so true. Um, it's it's like an exam all over again. Um, anyway, Talons Douglas, and thanks a lot, APG. You've uh, you've really helped out. Cheers, guys. Bye. Well, we're glad to help you out. Uh 
Flying Kiwi, uh, Lucas. Um, and we really appreciate the support that you give us, not only with mm-hmm. uh, being part of the community, sending us great feedback like that one, but also being uh, in the top level of support in the uh, uh, patronage. Um, it's just, uh, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't do it without you and the Absolutely. rest of everybody else in the, in the community. Yeah. And some Agreed. very kind comments and I've received lots and, uh, I'm, I'm being sh- very, um, uh, good about passing them on to my father who, so he's been getting regular emails and thank you very much indeed for your kind words. Uh, he, he's a treasure to me and he's a treasure to Australia. Uh, and, um, you know, I think we'll all miss him when he goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and by the way, uh, Ray Williams, my neighbor to the north in Alpharetta, he also sent a very nice letter to Captain Nick, uh, specifically about the uh, Andy Anderson interviews and how that really stirred um, a lot of emotion in him as well and how much he appreciated it. And he kind of related some of the stories from his father and uh, his experience in uh, various airplanes. Uh, so uh, awesome. Uh, just love all of this. It's great. Thank you, Lucas. Glad we could be there for you. And that's what, you know, we're all, we're here for everybody as, and we know that you're here for us as well. Absolutely. Amen. Um, let's see. Well, you know, these are all kind of, uh, related to things that we talked about recently. Like, let's say, uh, episode. I say, did you want to talk about, um, just real quick, I was going to jump in with one. Mm-hmm. Um, couple down from where you are. It was about uh, General Aviation Airport to fly into for wings over Pittsburgh since it's a little Oh, we can talk. Why don't you take that one, Steph? Um, So Michael writes in and says, uh, General Aviation Airport to fly into at wings over Pittsburgh and serious feedback. Uh, Crew, longtime listener and huge fan. Truly love the different perspectives of the hosts and how approachable the crew is to the listeners. I'm a private pilot, 29, live in New York City and fly out of Morristown, New Jersey, which is K- uh, Kilo Mike Mike uniform. Recently joined Patreon as a producer. Thank you. And would love to get more involved in the community, including the Nick meetups in New York. I'm curious if anyone is flying their small metal to the air show and where they're flying to. I may be able to fly myself out for the weekend in a rental. Separately, um, I just wanted to give Dr. Steph some feedback on her Cirrus flying, as I learned in the Cirrus SR20 for 100 plus hours and had a blast flying it. I'm sure you've had Great training, uh, but my advice is to always be prepared to go around. He says, don't play the song. <laughs> okay, darn it. <laughs> oh, come on. Like, um, <laughs> as, the, uh, as the airplane is not forgiving on landings, and if you bounce, you're more likely to bounce again and prop strike instead of settle down like a high wing 172. I had one nasty crosswind situation where I bounced and was a little late to firewall the throttles, but managed to save the situation. That's good. Have you experienced some of the complexities in landing the Cirrus? Um, He says, i.e. barely, et cetera. Well, I love the plane and advanced avionics. I have transitioned to G1000-172 as it is cheaper, fits my local flying, and I can still get the avionics fix. Lastly, if I can make it to Wings Over Pittsburgh, I'll bring a few of these IPAs. It says look them up on Beer Advocate if you don't know them. Uh, Treehouse Julius, Hedy Topper, and Lawson's Sip of Sunshine. Best regards to everyone, Michael. So I just wanted to... Um, jump to that one real quick because he had questions about where to fly into potentially for wings over Pittsburgh. If anyone has any answers for him, I know Stephen Ivy is uh, going to be flying in, so I'm sure there's going to be a group of them. Yeah. I think they already wanted to know in advance if you were going to actually fly into Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think itself. that uh, that door that, that opportunity closed. has closed. Yeah. yeah, 
Um, and I'm just doing a quick look around and, you know, certainly within, gosh, 17 to 20 miles or so of the airports, there's several other small general aviation or smaller airports. There's Allegheny County, which is about 17, 18 miles away. There is um, Beaver County, the other direction to the to the north. Allegheny was to the southeast. A little bit further out, there's a few more. Um, oh, wow. Bad thunderstorm heading for... Uh, Oh, that's Wheeling, Ohio. That's kind of far away. But there's at least those two options that are that look reasonably close. Um, I don't know anything about them, so I'm not the the expert there. But they might be good places to start. Um, you know, pull out the pull out the maps, pull out the sectional, see what's in the area, and you can certainly call around to FBOs and find out um, what kind of options you might have if you want to fly yourself there. Yeah, and contact us uh, via Twitter or whatever. You know, if you need somebody to drive to wherever you are to pick you up, yep. then. We'd be happy to do that. So Absolutely. I'm sure, you know, we're going to have some uh, plenty of vehicles there, I think, uh, to be able to do that. So, you know, uh, but that's about all the uh, advice we can give you. I don't, I'm not too familiar with the uh, uh, GA airports yeah, in the area. I don't know Pittsburgh very well at all, unfortunately. Um, and then he was he just had a little bit of um, information to add about serious flying. And he was wondering if um, I noticed any of the um quirkiness quirks of the aircraft and landing um in particular um it does have kind of a a shallow flare to the aircraft but in my experience most low wing uh small general aviation aircraft are kind of that way the, Cess the cessnas and the high wings certainly you have a higher um you're, you'll flare a lot more aggressively with those aircraft but um sp specifically with the sr-22 i haven't really noticed that it's not terribly forgiving on landings you know certainly um, you always want to be prepared to go around if you if you need to. So um, you that's good. He said, "Don't play the song." Well, you, but <laughs> I didn't play it during his feedback. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, easy. You know, you're right. You, you always want to be prepared to go around, no matter what aircraft you're you're flying, um, if it's appropriate. Um, but I haven't noticed its tendency to to bounce. In fact, it's actually been a very, in my experience, smooth aircraft to land. It's very um, responsive on the and as long as you have your settings correct, it's great. So it's a lot easier to land than the um, Seneca, I'll say. Okay. And what's your experience with the Seneca? Trickier to land. I'm sorry. Nick, go ahead. Sorry, what's the four-letter code for Pittsburgh? Uh, K-P-I-T. Papa India Tango. K-Pit. Okay. K-Pit. I can do that. Thanks. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, you know, did you read the part about the, cause it was, you were out, but did you read the part about the uh, beers? I did. And actually Hetty Topper is fantastic. I've had that and we have a, a supply source here in the Carolinas cause that's a hard, uh, difficult beer to, to get a hold of, but it's a great IPA. The other two I'm not as familiar with. Um, Michael, it's very, very important that you make it to some general aviation airport and call us. We'll pick you up because... We're looking forward to drinking some of those IPAs. Yep. And, of yeah. course, meeting you. That, that's no, no, the no, primary. No, the IPAs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nick speaks for himself. Okay. And, uh, All about drinking. Yeah. Only joking. Joking, yeah. really. Honestly. Oh, he's just joking. Absolutely. Yeah. Bring right. those IPAs. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, our good friend, Captain Jeff. Not me. The other one. Send us some audio feedback. And are we finished with uh, Michael? Yeah, I think I got okay. to everything he asked about. Great. Unless anyone has anything else to add. Nope. 
let's uh, move on. We're getting awfully close to that three-hour point, so uh, let's. You want to get a four hours? Yeah, we could do that. Uh, who knows? We can just keep on going here. Let's go. Uh, Jeff, <laughs> Captain Jeff, sent us in some feedback. Hello, APG community. It's the other Captain Jeff with some long overdue feedback. This goes all the way back to episode 263 when Jeff and Steph and Nick were talking about balloons in South America. And they made it sound like they were talking about the typical balloons that carry passengers with a gondola underneath. Oh, wait a minute. He's, is he criticizing us or correcting us? Yep. Oh, okay, well, let's move on then to something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Here we go. Take it away, Jeff. Uh, having experienced this firsthand in Rio, that's not the kind of balloons they are. They're much smaller, about the size of uh, anything from party balloon size to uh, small weather balloon size. Some of them do have gondolas, but they don't carry people or animals. They're carrying fireworks, and they rise right up under from the housing areas underneath the final approach course into the airports. And at a certain altitude or a certain time, the fireworks go off for parties and such. It makes for quite the light show, uh, because typically we're landing there uh, either just about dawn or uh, just uh, late morning. And uh, they do get your attention. It's Brazil, so there's no regulations for anything that are enforced. And it, uh, so it's not the big balloons that uh, we think about for like the Albuquerque Balloon Festival or things like that. So that's my feedback on that issue. Hope you're all doing well and more to follow. Over and out and IPAs for all. We hey. need to get we need to get one of those uh, balloons with fireworks for uh, Wings Over Pittsburgh. Yeah, why not? That'd be fun. Especially prohibited. Right well, maybe on the I base, think. but we're going to be at the hotel across the street. <laughs> ah, valid point. Yeah, I like by how the you... way, can I bring my drone? Yeah, of course. <laughs> That'd be a good idea. <laughs> yes, great idea. Especially during the air show. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, he said, more to come. Well, here it is. Hello again, APG community. It's the other Captain Jeff. This time I'm going to be talking about the 737 Shimmy Shimmy Shake, uh, back from episode uh, 266. Yeah, the, the uh, 737 originally did not have shimmy dampers. The two through 500 series jets have all been retrofitted. Uh, the 700s and the 900s and the 800s all came out uh, with them already installed, and they're actually beefier than they are for the smaller jets. <clears throat> The issue came up where the uh, torsion bars would uh, actually break on the struts because of the way the airplane would land. Uh, The shimmy still does occur on occasion, um, but it's usually due to either one of two things. Either they are not maintained properly, uh, the, the dampers themselves, or it can happen if you have a really smooth landing. So I guess I've never had a really smooth landing because I've never experienced this, which isn't saying a whole lot for me personally, but that's beside the point. The uh, the dampers located in the front of the each main landing gear, and uh, it's just a big cylinder. There's a picture attached. The uh, There's a gap there sometimes between what looks like a rubber mount and a cylindrical piston. Uh, We've been told that if that gap is larger than a half of an inch, 
which is roughly the width of a tube of chapstick, so most of us carry a tube of chapstick, that we need to have maintenance come look at it because it's too big a gap. And it is quite normal to find one at about a half inch and one completely closed. Uh, the picture I took uh, yesterday doing the walk around, they were actually both open, one about a half inch and one about a quarter of an inch. So it's really not a big deal for us if they're maintained properly. The big problem comes in, um, and I can see where this might be a factor with airlines not familiar with the 7.3 or new to the fleet or with not, without really good maintenance that they could have issues with not maintaining the system properly because it can cause a lot of damage as evidenced by some of the reports out there and some of the pictures you've seen on the internet where the, the gear are like basically sideways uh, a la JetBlue and LAX a couple of years ago with their nose gear. So that's the story on the Shimmy Shake for the 737. It does happen on other aircraft, uh, but the big uh, culprits seems to have been the 73 here uh, for the most part, especially with the way we kind of taxi sideways. If you're ever behind a 737, it looks like we're kind of cattywampus going down the taxiway at times where the airplane almost looks like it's crabbing on the taxiway when we're actually, and we don't even see it in the cockpit. We have no idea, uh, but if you're behind one of us, you can obviously see it. So that's the end of that. So take care. God bless and unlimited stouts to all. Yeah. Yay. So this explains why you can never get a smooth landing on a Boeing. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think never. Different. I've been on plenty. You get a smooth landing, you can shimmy the undercarriage into destruction. So on the 7.3, maybe. I've never flown the 7.3. The 7.2 did not have this problem. And as far as I know, none of the other Boeings do as well. I think it's kind of related to the 7.3. I don't know why. 7.3 um, has castering uh, main landing gear. Yeah. You can land weird. on a crab with it. Um, I think, you know, the, I remember the old ones, it like does? the 200s, the 200s, like huh. when you were taxiing behind them, it was, kind of, as you mentioned, it kind of looked like a pup, you know, like a puppy sometimes runs and like the, the front <laughs> legs are on one side and the back legs are in another. Back legs well, move a little bit faster than yeah. the front legs. And so you know, you're behind them and you go, um, Hey, uh, Joe. Yeah. What is it just me? Or is that airplane like? Going sideways a little bit there. No, that's a seven three. <laughs> but I haven't I haven't noticed it on the uh, the newer you know the newer generation, uh, especially the uh, the eight hundred and and nine hundreds. I, I haven't noticed it. I think they figured out whatever it was that was causing that that uh, sideways. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just so used to seeing it now I don't even notice it. But uh, it's kind of like the same kind of thing where when I saw the Mad Dog for the first time with the with the elevators like opposite, I'm thinking. uh that's that's wrong, isn't it? <laughs> something wrong with that airplane, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, people would say, yeah, there there is something wrong with that, but that's normal. Um, it's normally wrong. Yes, uh, normal situation. Uh, let's see, just quickly here. Uh, perhaps um, let's hear from our good friend. And speaking, of this is there's a kind of a connection here. Jeff Felmuth, uh, a former F-15 driver in the U.S. Air Force, was invited to be on a, an, a fantastic aviation interview show called Ready for Takeoff, uh, hosted by George Nolly, who is also, by the way, a producer of the show, executive producer, I believe. And George sent us a little bit of audio feedback. 
Hi, APG crew. This is George Nolly from the Ready for Takeoff podcast. I just wanted to say regarding the United incident, I totally agree with Anders, who called in on the last podcast. There were a lot of mistakes made, and a lot of cooler heads uh, could have solved that problem fairly easily. Um, If you want to look at uh, the Ready for Takeoff podcast.com blog blog site, uh, I have an article about my thoughts on that. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, Toga, the go-around. And uh, since Captain Rick is not there, Miami Rick, uh, he would have he would have explained something that wasn't mentioned. So I'm going to pretend that I'm Miami Rick on the triple seven, uh, the seven eight seven, and the uh, the seven forty seven dash eight. And I'm not sure about the seven forty seven four hundred. With the first press of the toga switch, which is located on the front of either thrust lever, you get thrust that will give you a 2,000 foot per minute rate of climb. And then with the next push of the toga switch, you will get maximum thrust. Other than that, I agree with everything everybody said. Have a great day. Thank you, George. We'll uh, put a link to your show and your uh, blog post regarding this United incident in the uh, show notes. And uh, sorry, I couldn't resist playing the crickets because uh, when you mentioned uh, Miami Rick, you know, that just brought back fond memories. And, you know, I don't think I've ever heard Miami Rick talk I've never about heard that the uh, toga button the, thing. No, no that sounds <laughs> totally many, unfamiliar to me. How many times? I think there was probably 40 40 podcasts in a row where he mentioned that exact same thing. Yeah. We're going, oh, anyway. not the go around. We thing love you, Rick. <laughs> Basic advice for Boeing guys just keep mashing that switch. <laughs> Eventually, something will happen. Or how about just <laughs> taking a fistful of throttles and pushing them? Yes, I said throttles. Throttles forward. Throttles. Not thrust levers. And uh, whatever, sticks or whatever you call those things. There's no butterfly valves uh, which throttle your engine. So, Rossley, this is quite correct. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. That's all I hear. (laughs) Did he say something? (laughs) Anyway, you know what? I think it's about time that we end this thing. We got to most of it. Looks like um, next time we'll... Uh, give some uh, advice to Mayrod. Um, Mark uh, sent us some feedback from Sydney. Wayne has an interesting question about vortices and wind and the effect on uh, wingtip or wake vortices. Um, and Why can't Sydney send his own feedback? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. We'll have to ask him. Uh, but it was it was very very nice uh, feedback. But uh, again, that'll be on the uh, in the feedback folder for the next show. So tune in for that and more great uh, feedback from the community as well as uh, the latest news that occurs between now and the next time we do the show, which will be sometime next week. I'm hoping. And uh, let's see, if you want to learn more about the show, as we always like to say, head over to the uh, AirlinePilotGuide.com uh, website. There you'll find information about uh, the, the crew, the community, the uh, ways to listen and watch the show. Uh, you can uh, buy some merchandise at the APG store, um, other good stuff there as well. We thank Arash for um, managing that fantastic site. We do appreciate that. Uh, apps. We have um, the Airline Pilot Guy app on both the iOS and Android platform. Uh, of course, the iOS App Store and the Google Play Store is where you'll find it for your Android device. 
and it's free and there you can get push notifications when we're about to record a show when the show is released etc uh let's see social media with dr steph social media you can find us on twitter we're all there together at apg crew um pinned to the top you can find our individual contact information for the twitters uh facebook facebook.com slash airline pilot guy um you can go there for information related to the show stuff that community members post stuff that we mostly nick posts and um sometimes information about meetups and other things there as well and i would give the information about slack but you don't need maybe to I still will no you, you won't have it i think okay. i think somebody's going to help us out with that take it away hello Excellent. APG listeners, if you want to be part of our Slack team, please send an email address on Twitter to me, Hillel, H-I-1-1-E-1. Over on Slack, we plan events, we plan meetups, we talk about the episodes, we gather feedback. If you want to be part of the team, send me a tweet. See you there. Great. Thank you, Hillel, for recording that for us. And uh, any other uh, social media or any other ways to follow us? Um, I think you covered it all. Probably. I think I got most of it. Feedback. It's a good uh, start. Yeah, feedback. You, uh, can, you can use the website. There's a contact form there. Uh, you can use your uh, mobile app, which a lot of you do, and uh, send it that way. And uh, good old, old-fashioned email, uh, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Another great way. Also, SpeakPipe is a, is a great way to record audio. I know we've played a few audio feedbacks here today that were from uh, and recorded on um, SpeakPipe. Uh, all that information is there on the website. You can uh, uh, find out about that. Also, don't forget, we have show notes for everything that we talked about on today's show, links to uh, news articles, etc. So check it out. And until next time, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care. God bless. Take care, y'all. Bye, everybody. Bye. Have a great week. Good day. W-A-P-G Airline Pilot Guy